Hey, y'all. So while I was recording this live with Caleb and Garrett, uh, I don't know if it was to the, due to the booze or just the riveting conversations as we were all over the place, but I completely forgot to plug our podcast sponsor, Casey. Uh, so that's what this is going to be. A little insert plug here. Obviously, we, pre- we preach a lot of stuff on this podcast and on this show, uh, but financial well-being is something that's really important to us. It's really important you know, to be able to pursue your passions, pursue hunting. And whether it's a primary home, a vacation spot, investment property, if you guys just want a little market update on what interest rates look like, you know, what kind of projections and stuff, Casey Burns would be happy to help. And that would be your guy. He's the guy that I use for all my home buying. He's who Perry uses. He's who Evan uses. John and Andrew. Everybody I recommend, you know, to, to buy a house. Casey's the guy and he makes everything so easy. Perry, you want to talk a little about your experience? Yeah, my experience with Casey was absolutely first class. The great thing about him is he really has an understanding and he makes it incredibly easy to digest the information that you need to know to, you know, figure out, you know, what what your decision-making process looks like when you're when you're talking about something as significant as um, financing a home, looking at investment property, um, whatever it is, he makes it incredibly easy. Um, he's just a, he's a first class dude. He's a guy, you know, we've known for years. I know you've known him for, for a long time and we all recommend people that are, you know, are interested in whatever their, their financing needs are. Go look up Casey cause, um, he's been a big help to us and, and yeah, you should, you guys should definitely go check him out. Known Casey for 10 years. I only recommend him. I only have him on as a sponsor because he's somebody I know and trust and that I would be willing to trust with my friends, family, and then all of our listeners. So, you know, we don't just bring sponsors on willy-nilly. We bring on people that we have a relationship with, that we've worked with, and that we know and, and that we trust because that's the biggest thing to us. So we can't recommend him enough. Go check him out. Give him a call. Get a quote, whatever. You know, if it's not, it doesn't even have to be if you're buying a home. If you want to refinance, if you're sitting there, and you bought your house a few years ago and your interest rates a little higher right now we're at record lows for interest rates so just call see what he can do for you he'll run your credit or he doesn't even have to run your credit he can just do a, an initial look and kind of see and, and give you an estimate of what you might be looking at and it's definitely worthwhile it's worth a 10 minute phone call so if you want to give him a call give him a call at 919-710-1864 or shoot him an email at casey.burns at primelending.com and you can also go check out his website, check out all of his reviews from all of his uh, former customers at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, guys. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Hunt Look Deep podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke. Also, again this week, not with Perry. I've got these two yahoos, Garrett and Caleb, and we're going to attempt to do a little more of a coherent podcast this go-around. <laughs> Last time we got off the rails a lot, which is pretty typical for this podcast, and I'm Definitely not apologetic because you guys know what you're getting at this point. But this one we're going to go. I've been telling you guys we're going to do those Q&A, uh, do the questions and answers from everybody that's sending stuff on Instagram for a long time, kind of been putting it off. So we're just going to hit it today with with Garrett and Caleb. So what's going on, fellas? How you doing? Well, I've got a question for you, Luke. What's that? Speaking of the rails, how do they get rail cars to stay on the tracks? I don't know. They train them. 
I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Hunt Lifty Podcast. You guys have been absolutely phenomenal. As always, we love you guys. <laughs> I'm done. What if that was the whole episode? <laughs> this is where it cut off. Oh, I'm done. 34 seconds. I'm done. Oh, my God. That's funny shit. It's an easily digestible podcast. <laughs> so that was Garrett, and I'm a little bit more intelligent. This is Caleb. What's up, guys? Yeah. There's a, there's a 95% chance in the last episode I edited out the tirade Caleb went on about the rock eating babies. So, so. you bring it back. So <laughs> we're already off the rails. I'm sorry, y'all. This is what it is at this point. You guys know what you're getting. All right, all right, all right, all right, right the first question. All right, so we got this. I'm not going to go in through all the names and everything. Everybody that's sending questions, we're just going to ask the questions and roll. So, all right, we'll start with uh, with Caleb. Because if I would give it to Garrett, Garrett will go on for 15 minutes. 14. <laughs> All right. All right, Caleb. What's your favorite out of the three? Hunt, the hunting, the lifting, or the eating? Man, this this is honestly a tough one because it, it's about your reward, right? So, I honestly, I'll, I'll put the, the hunt. The hunt is my favorite part because it's probably the most stressful and also the most rewarding part of the three. Um, without the food source, you can't nourish your body. So I'll, I'll take that one 100%. Hell yeah. What about you, Garrett? I think they're all, I mean, that's the whole point of it. They're all in tandem. It's not It's not one or the other. We hunt to eat, and we eat so we can lift. So it's not, you can't just pick one, because then we wouldn't be what we are. So it's all together. That's fair. Yeah, I think, I mean, the spare tire I've got on my beer gut would say the eating, but uh, I think it's probably... A combination, obviously, of, of the three. But if if you told me you put a gun to my head, obviously I need to fucking eat. But you know, and I can only pick one of the three. It it would be the hunting. I mean, I, I do love lifting, but I think I could still maintain a pretty active lifestyle hunting and just hunting something I just can't stop doing. I've gone through periods in my life where, you know, I, I kind of get out of the white room or whatever, but I definitely just cannot stop hunting. So I'd say the hunting, but I, I do agree with Garrett that the whole mindset, but behind this entire thing is that it, it all is kind of interconnected and interwoven and, and we do it all together and that's kind of kind of the point absolutely so the next question we'll start with garrett on this one is uh what's the best way to improve your max on the big three lifts and the big three lifts are bench squat and deadlift if you would like to improve your max on squat bench and deadlift you should probably just do fucking squat bench and deadlift <laughs> 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 I, 100, I 100% agree on that. Um, I think a lot of people just overcomplicate strength. If you want to be strong, just do movements consistently. You know, they, they call it old, old man strength for a reason. It's because, you know, your grandpa did the same shit every day for fucking 50 years. And he built such adaptation that his body, he could not do that movement again for the next 50 years. And his body would still remember how to fucking do it. And so, obviously, when you start to get to a super high level, you're going to start to plateau and you can start dissecting what you're doing to make incremental improvements. But if you're just starting out and you want to, you know, get into powerlifting or, or doing any of that, just grab a barbell and fucking lift. Um, once you start getting to the point that you feel like you're not making the incremental growth, I'd suggest looking at a coach, get you a coach, somebody who really knows what they're doing to break down your form. And they can start looking at it and be like, hey, okay, you need to, you know, focus more on rack pulls or deficit deadlifts or let's, you know, work some Romanians or, or different variations of different things. But if, if all you want to do is improve on the big three, just do the big three. It, it's pretty simple. 
you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But Caleb, what do you, what do you think? So I, I agree with you on on a lot of that, man. A lot of people they they want this easy pill, right? The easy pill to become stronger, become better, but. There's no easy pill. Even with uh, like the geared side of things, which is steroids, you still gotta bust your fucking ass, right? Yeah, steroids just allow you to work harder. I'm not condoning steroids, like, but what you recover quicker, so you can just work yeah. more. That's what it is. You still have to fucking work hard. But if you're if you're at a plateau or a loss for words, man, I think getting a coach that's got a solid program, and if you don't if you don't like the the coach per se. Um, all all you got all you got to do is, dude. There, there's plenty of programs online. The 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 oh man, what is it called? The Fast Lift Five by Five program. I think that's what I did on deployment, man. And not only did my strength blow up, but my size in general, my back blew up phenomenally. So I think that's a good start. Like a good solid five by five program is a good place to start for your big three. Yeah, for sure. Like, as far as programming goes, there's there's a ton of programs out there, and. I'm a big fan of Jim Windler's Beyond 531. It's great for beginner, intermediate lifters. I mean, once you start getting into the really high levels of competition, it, it, you're, you probably need to do some some different shit. But like for me, Beyond Five Beyond 531 is just perfect. It's simple. It's quick. And there's a bunch of you know other things that are very similar. But consistency matters more than anything else. It's just constantly yes. hitting that programming. Yeah. I could make you the most simple programmer in the world. Hey. Do a five by five, three days a week, and do it every single day for two years. You're gonna be pretty fucking strong. Well, and a lot of it is is with the consistency is like how long have you been doing the same thing? If you walk into the gym and you do four sets of eight on that one motion each time and you haven't changed that up in six months, you should probably look at doing, you know, a different rep set. Change the weight a little bit. If you're stuck there, you're probably stuck there for a reason. So like you said, look at a coach. If the programming is what needs to change, it could be the food that needs to change. If you're Absolutely. doing a two thousand calorie diet, you're not going to get a whole lot strong. You got to put some food in there. Yep. Well, and that being said, like I mean, I'm two hundred sixty five, two hundred seventy five pounds. Like I'm not. I'm different size than other people, so two thousand calories for me is different. But you have to have the food to push the weight. So if you're not eating and you're doing the same shit, you know. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. So, yeah, do the big three lifts to change the big three lifts, you know, your max number, but change your rep sets, change your food. Something has to change, but the the exercise isn't going to change. Now, when you get into a higher level, like for me and Strongman, I have contests that are Ukrainian deadlift. They're axle deadlift. They're wagon wheel deadlift. They're going to be conventional. They're deficit. It's all different. Do I train... Each of those lifts in a 12-month block, absolutely not. I train deadlift. Now, four weeks out, I get used to that movement again. And the foundational strength, the consistency, what you're talking about, is what carries me through each competition because there's going to be something overhead. There's going to be some kind of deadlift. There's going to be some kind of carry. Yeah, it's going to be different. It could be a sandbag. It could be a keg. But your muscles, for the most part, are going to be doing the same thing. And so you really have to have that consistency, like you're saying. Yeah, definitely. So, like, to kind of summarize that, because we all said the off. same thing, but differently. Yeah. Exactly. It's just <laughs> consistency is going to matter. It, it, and it really is your baseline, right? So if you're just starting out, consistency in the movement is what matters. And then as you start, you're going to hit some initial plateaus, switching up some shit, 
looking at your your rep schemes, your weight, all your progressive loading. That should that should increase, and that's where getting on some sort of consistent program. I like five three one because it's all percentage based based on your training maxes. But there's a lot of programs that are very similar to that. I agree with that one hundred percent, man. And then your diet, like if you're not consuming your body weight and protein. You're fucking wrong. Like that's that's the number one. Get that macro in, and then you can play with your fat and your carbs. If you're not consuming your your body weight, and it's harder than you think, you probably aren't. Even if you think you are, if you're not tracking it, absolutely, man. Especially with this bodybuilding competition I did, I thought I ate so much, but then I got on an actual diet, and I was losing weight. But I was like, holy fuck, I'm like I'm always full until I seriously cut back calories. And then I was like, oh, shit, I'm, now now I'm hungry. But beforehand, like I was like, oh, I'm eating enough. But then it came time to follow a plan, and I, I absolutely wasn't eating enough at all whatsoever. Because it's all about what you eat. That was something when Anthony was running my nutrition, I'm always, I always thought like I was getting enough protein because I eat a shitload of meat, take a protein shake. When, I, when he was like, hey, you need to get like probably 210, 220 grams of protein a day. Like, that's not a small amount of protein. No, that's a lot. And, and like, I'm sitting there. If, if I didn't, if I found myself skipping a meal as far as eating like a significant portion of some like game meat or some meat, I was the night, the night before bed, I'm just like trying to chug a shake a case in, yeah. trying not to throw it up because I'm yeah. so fucking nauseous. Yeah, so man. People, it's hard. People underestimate, like, I think the big thing is people underestimate underestimate how much they eat. They think they eat, a, which is pretty much what we're saying. They think they eat a lot, but in reality, you don't you don't eat a whole lot, man. People eat a lot of crap. Exactly, oh, a lot of shit. Yes. They don't eat a lot of like clean stuff, and that's what that's the whole joke about like for bodybuilding. Like, oh, chicken, rice, and broccoli—that's all you're eating. Yeah, but it's clean, and you're yes. not getting you're not getting shit that you don't like. So, say you go to, you know, you go get tacos or whatever. You don't know exactly what they cook that in. There yep. could be a fuckload of oil in that, yeah. and it could just weigh you down. And you're thinking like, "Oh, I'm not that full. I must have not eaten a lot." That oil—that's a lot. Especially when they're using seed oils, vegetable yeah. oils. Yep. It's one thing if they're using some sort of you know animal fat, avocado oil, something that your body can process. But when I know when I, st- I when I started cutting out all the poofas, the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Anytime, like this weekend, I've eat, eaten like dog shit, and I've you know been down here in Texas because you Texas boys eat like dog shit. Wait, are you uh, saying are you saying that you great. didn't enjoy the bananas Foster French toast at brunch today? <laughs> Is that what I'm hearing? It was delicious, but I feel like I have a after the last podcast, I had to hit the latrine and blew that shit <laughs> yeah. up. Man. The last podcast that was literally 12 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. My yeah, stomach man. was. I'm glad your your old lady had to run and get us another case of beer so she wasn't in the fucking apartment. Like, I, I think the biggest takeaway on, on this part is check all your boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what 100%, if your boxes aren't checked, then you you won't necessarily progress how you want to or in a, in a you, you will progress, don't get me wrong, but it, it won't be to an optimal standard, so check your boxes. Consistency, protein, and consistency, and then vary up the, the shit as you get later on in your, your progression it's, your Absolutely. it's basically what it is this was a great question that I love that I'm going to probably not answer <laughs> I'll answer it we'll start off with Caleb what's more important to you your wedding day or shooting a 200 inch whitetail <laughs> okay 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 okay. let me let me talk about this one so and this isn't some like Texas farm raised high fence 200 inch whitetail this is a public land Kansas 200 inch whitetail it's a unicorn unicorn Oh man! You've well, been scouting all summer long. 
Get, give him on traveling to Kansas from Texas to get up there because you know you got this public land hunt. You've been dialing everything in. You've got this guy on camera. You've patterned him. It all comes together 20 yards with a bow. What's more important, that shot or your wedding day? Okay, Go. okay. Answer me this. Is it a shoulder mountain? It's 200 inches. It's what do you mean? Is what do you mean is it a shoulder mountain? mountain? You mean am I paying for it? Sure, I'm paying for it. No, no, no. Just do I get a shoulder <laughs> mount out of it besides shooting this? Well, yeah, you get to keep it. It's your deer. Like. 200 inch whitetail all day long. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, for real. Like, given so me, so so me, me and my my ex wife, man, hundred percent. I'm not talking about. We're not talking about the ex wife. We're talking about the new one. That's like, the, that's the only time I've been married. That's the only time I've been married. Well, no, no, no. So, who you were dating now? Allie? Not your ex wife. Oh, okay. That's that's oh, a man. Player. That's I love Allie. She's such a saint, man. She, That's what we're asking, not not yeah, the not uh, the one that you've already been like. No, nah, you know, this is a bad ex- idea. Uh, like, I'm, I'm going off experiences in general, man. My ex-wife, 200, 200 inch white tail. All day long. <laughs> I think everybody would say over my ex-wife. <laughs> yeah. I take the fucking deer. Yeah. My ex-wife, I would take a doe. Yeah, like, I, just, like, I, I, I tell I you, think I would take there. a button buck over somebody's ex-wife. I, I tell you what, man. If I had the opportunity to shoot a two hundred inch white tail all day long, or or ju- just this one instance, I guarantee you, Allie will be there with me. To watch me shoot it, one hundred percent. So th- this woman's a saint, man. Uh, so I, man, if she can't be there, I probably wouldn't take it. Cause that that's something that like I don't know. It's important. It the the two hundred inch whitetail is super important to me because I've I don't think I've ever seen one. It's a myth. I don't think I've ever seen one. I've never seen anything over like a eight point man. Well, I don't know what the fuck this looks like. <laughs> it probably looks like a rhinoceros walking around in the woods. I don't know if you know this, but rhinoceros have one, maybe two horns. No, this one, this is a special. Definitely not that kind of. This is a special rhinoceros that's in out in the woods. Twelve point rhinoceros. (laughs) No, so this is obviously a massive deer for people that don't know what like two hundred inches is, and uh, and Caleb doesn't know what three inches is. (laughs) Don't tell them that. Whatever they say, it's a lie. I swear. This podcast has gone off the rails worse than the last No, time. no, this, this is right on point. We're, but, we're talking about hunting, though. We're talking about rugby and yeah, fucking right. football. No, no, but... And Pokemon Go and how it's affecting the American military. Yeah, we're to break down the Ukrainian fucking... The Ukrainian <laughs> annex crisis. But if, if I could share the moment with Allie 100%, like if it was a wedding day and we were going out and then I had an opportunity to shoot this 200-inch, 100%, I would choose Allie because I get the, the opportunity... If it was outside of the wedding day, then one hundred percent she would should be so fine with me shooting this two hundred inch. So this is perfect timing as uh, Mariah walks. Back. <laughs> yeah. Garrett, you're up. I should have answered up. first while Mariah yeah. was gone. <laughs> yeah, you're Hi, up. <laughs> you're up. <laughs> Thank you for the beer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll totally. Uh, the wedding day is like super important, and I haven't been trying to convince her to elope anyway. So. <laughs> So 200 inch white tail for Garrett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over getting married. I can honestly say, as a, I talk a, talk a lot of shit, but yeah, I would I would definitely uh, take the. I think weddings are dumb in general, as far as like the, the amount of money. Like Caroline yes. is super cool and is super conservative. I don't even was, like my friends that much. Was really, yeah, I mean that was the thing. It was like Caroline was like very low maintenance when it came to our wedding, and it still cost a significant amount of money just because of how overinflated wedding costs are these days. Um, you know that's a trick, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah it is when you, because when you go and you're talking like venues and stuff, do not use the word wedding. Otherwise, yeah, say it's a business retreat. Yeah. Business retreat. Yeah, same venue. We had a venue that it didn't matter. Our venue is actually extremely affordable. Shout out to uh, Just do it fast. Caleb's so. opening. <laughs> Jesus, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I'm awful. I'm the worst. I am so sorry. Let's Caleb's have a like beer. Let's have a beer. Trying to open. <laughs> The beer. It's like sitting next to your buddy hunting and he's like got Velcro straps on. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be quiet. You've seen the thing where the guy's like, this is special forces Velcro. It's like, it's really quiet and he takes it and he's like, you won't be able to hear it. And he goes, ah! <laughs> so you didn't hear the Velcro at all. Yeah, the army decided to put Velcro on fucking everything. Stupid as hell. But anyways, yeah. They didn't give you light up shoes. <laughs> I would take my wife. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a moment that, like, you you can always go and shoot a two. Like, if you pay enough money, you can always go shoot. If you have the time. right wedding day with the right woman, you'll have the opportunity to shoot. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Like my my that. wife does not give me shit about my hunts. She doesn't can like try to like tell me I can't go. She doesn't tell me anything. She's like, hey, you want to go? Go. That's yeah, fine. That's awesome. Man. And you know, and so if you have the right woman, the right wedding day, fuck it. You, you have plenty of opportunities at a 200 inch white tail. You marry the wrong woman on the wrong wedding day, your life's going to be miserable and you're not going to do much hunting. You're going to hunt anyway. So we're going to be like Caleb and be fucking divorced. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, it's just a check I had to do. I know it's not it's not hunting, but it's it's got the same like culty feel to it. Uh, there was an article that ran in the battalion, the newspaper Texas A&M, back in 2014. It was. Uh, and I know this because the game happened on my birthday in September. And it was a Saturday. A&M was playing Alabama at home. And uh, there was an article about this girl who had booked her wedding venue in College Station for that weekend on that Saturday. And it was an 11 o'clock game, middle of the day. The wedding was in the middle of the day. She's an Aggie. Her husband's an Aggie. Like Everybody in the bridal groom's party are all Aggies. But A&M's playing Alabama at Kyle Field in College Station. And uh, she was like, I'm kind of worried that people aren't going to go to the wedding. And they're like, why did you book it that day? She was like, when I booked it, it was TBD. There wasn't a game set. <laughs> and so they were like, so are you going to delay the wedding? She was like, yeah, probably. Because <laughs> everybody wanted to go to the game. There was uh, folks. Our wedding was in East, Northeast Tennessee. And there was folks that were invited to our wedding that were perturbed that it was on college game day. Mm. Yeah, was, was, where, was college game day at Tennessee that that time? Oh, I don't, I don't know about that, but just the fact that it was it was you know it was University of Tennessee. Yeah, don't get married on a Saturday of football season slash hunting season. That's just dumb. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree. I would definitely suggest. I mean, I, October twentieth like is, is my anniversary. Um, that's, that's I mean borderline. I, that's bow season. Yeah, like, it's bow season. The thing is, is by by then I've already done like a lot of hunting. Hopefully. You know, September, I've done some elk, yep. mm-hmm. done some early season stuff, probably some antelope, maybe a, an archery bow weekend. So, by the 20th, I probably need a, a break weekend anyways. Man, that, if that's anything that I've learned from my buddy Ramsey, is like, it's always duck season somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can find somewhere you to go. You can kill pigs anytime, right? <laughs> I was talking to a buddy on, on Instagram, and he was talking about not putting out much hunting content. And I was like, yeah, dude, even slacking. He's like, well, it's not hunting season. I was like, fuck, dude, you can kill pigs anytime. I'm going out in Texas this weekend. Pigs, coyotes. Yep. Pre- any predators, really. Like, yep. If it flies, it dies. What's our next question? Next question. That was a long answer for a pretty simple question. 
Yeah, but that's what makes the podcast good. Mm, let's go with uh, Dream Hunt. What's your Dream Hunt, Garrett? Red Stag, New Zealand. Ooh, you go to a ranch to kill a big boy, or just hit it like a nope. public land, just red smaller, stag, just whatever. Red you can Stag in New Zealand. Just I don't. I just want to be out there, dude. Let's fucking do it. I want it. That's one of my hunts. I want to do. I want to go for like three, four weeks, dude. I'd, I'd fucking be down. Hit Red Something Stag, about, Tar. Well, and that, and I want to get a tattoo while I'm there in that style there. So for the people that like don't haven't checked out my Instagram, don't know me, like I've got tattoos all up and down my arms, on my legs, on my feet, whatever. I'm a big fan He's got a of a big one right on his ass, left ass cheek. It's a bubble. It's on my right ass cheek, and it says "saw him off" because fuck to you, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's real. Uh, uh, no, the I just I think the red stag in New Zealand would be an incredible trip, uh, or Axis in Hawaii because because you listen to the Joe Rogan experience. Well. It's not because I listened. That's how I found out about it. But I've always wanted to go to Hawaii because I want to surf there. Did you can hunt axes here. Well, I do hunt axes here. Oh, but right. I also would like to go to Hawaii, and it's only $850. Like, oh, let's do it. That's not bad. No, it's not. No, for not In bad. Hawaii? Like, yeah, that's not bad for a hunt. That sounds in like general. a uh, HLE trip for sure. Oh, yeah. I might have to do a team trip to Hawaii. Well, then I get my tax return. Do you know how to surf? Week. Fuck no. <laughs> You'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, I can barely walk. What about you, Caleb? Dude, my, my dream hunt, man, so far, like, once I got outside of, like, understanding that, oh, there's more than whitetail, there's more than pigs, there's, I, I had shot a black bear. Contrary to what the <clears throat> Texas public school system is, there is life outside of Texas. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what? But, uh, but I had shot a black bear in North Carolina. So, so this black bear was literally, like, 300 yards outside my barracks room, and I, I had shot him with my bow. Yeah. So that I thought that was the epitome of hunting. Like I shot him public land, technically because he's on base. <laughs> technically. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody on base has access to the the hunting rights. See, I'm not on familiar base. with that. Yeah. Right. So every everybody on base has access to hunting on base, right? Unless you're, uh, I think you got it. You have to be disabled from like, like you have to be uh, medically discharged from or medically retired. I'm sorry. Right. Um, and you can hunt on base that way, at least at Lejeune. So I had shot this bear on public land. Nobody else was hunting it. Um, and it was, dude, most phenomenal experience. But then I got into the DAV program in Idaho and I realized that like disabled veteran program. So for those of you guys that don't know, if you're a disabled vet, I think it's over 40%. Over 40. If you're over 40, you actually get a resident tag prices for the state of Idaho. Yeah, so it's a pretty incredible deal for anybody out there that's listening who's sitting in on a 40% VA rating. Uh, absolutely, man. So I've, I've got an elk tag. I've got two black bear tags, a gray wolf, and then you can choose between a whitetail or muley. I'm not going out there with my bow. I might bring it just in case, but I'm not. Dude, I just got a new bow, so I'm not very confident. We'll see how I progress over the next, until September. Bring the rifle. Now, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm bring my rifle because of what what you actually were talking about, Luke. I just want to secure a kill. So I've got these all these great tags: elk, two black bear, whitetail, gray wolf. And if I come across whitetail, whatever, I probably honestly won't won't go for I won't target whitetail or muley, just because I can do that here in Texas if I wanted to. 
Um, but the black black bear were not allowed to shoot in Texas, even though they're becoming more prominent in East Texas, Northeast Texas, coming from Louisiana. Uh, elk, we don't really have unless you're in way West Texas, but I don't believe that um, unless you're hunting private private land, like on a ranch, you don't you can't shoot elk on public land. Elk is actually an exotic species classified in the state of Texas now, so if you see one, you can't shoot. Oh, okay, that that's news. I've I've been looking, but either way, which is insane because their native range actually includes Texas, and so. They've been. This is a wild concept. Texas is just wild yeah. for an, an outsider, even though I used to live here. But they've been transplanted here through these exotic ranches because there's huge money in elk, and they've escaped. And now there's like populations that are outside. However, they're considered exotics because they were brought here through these like private companies. However, they're still within their native range. Yeah, so it's right. like a weird, yep. really weird. Because they, they come over from New Mexico a lot too. Um, so ideally, I like this hunt that I have in Idaho. The end of this year is my ideal hunt where I can target multiple species, primarily elk and black bear. If you've not had black bear, dude, it's phenomenal, man. That's some of the best meat I've had. Well, it depends on what they eat, right? It, it does, man. In like Pennsylvania is what I kind of research more of. Those are inner city black bear, and they eat out of the garbage can. If <laughs> the entire state of Pennsylvania is an inner city. Let's no, 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 no. no. But, but this... it is also a giant garbage can. Yeah, yeah. There is a significant portion of Pennsylvania that is very, very rural. Right, right. But when we you... we yeah. say that, knowing that Anthony lives there, no, no, I wasn't even thinking about that. But from what I've heard, is the inner city bears in wildlife in general they eat the garbage. It doesn't taste good. Yeah, it, anything that with what it eats, like it's the same thing. So I'm going up to Alaska in June and uh, talking to my buddy who's up there, who I'm going to be rolling with. You know, when they when they're in the salmon, when those the salmon die off happens and they're just hitting the fish, the meat's pretty fucking awful. Yeah, pretty yeah, fishy. yeah. Yep. And so we're gonna be. I'll be coming just when my summer leave hits. I'm not gonna get there to be able to hit those spring bears. So we're gonna have to go up to the higher elevations to try to hit black bears that haven't been eating the fish. Yes. And so, like anything they're eating, pigs are the same way. Like you get a yep. pig that's been eating acorns and corn and whatever, they taste phenomenal. You get one that's been eating, you know, rotted ass. It's gonna taste pretty <laughs> shitty. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so ideally, long story short, I will be doing my dream hunt. Uh, this I'll, I'll be doing my dream hunt this coming. Uh, fall, winter, whatever you want to consider it, because we don't have seasons in Texas. So, um, set, like late September, early October is going to be my ideal hunt right now. Now, I'm about trying to get a red stag eventually. What, that's years in the future because I would like to really map out um, a place to go and where I don't have to pay a private outfitter to get it. Because I, I don't know. Not that I'm against it, but I would just like to do it on my own. So, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Like, what? Those are very roundabout answer to yeah, say sorry. Idaho, <laughs> but it's cool. Idaho's cool. That's where Perry's going. We're hoping to, to line it up. So, if I go to help Perry, Caleb's going to be able to come out, and we'll be able to put something on the ground together. That'd be that'd be pretty sweet. I probably won't have a tag, but it'd be dope to to help you and Perry out. But, I got a I got a quick story for you on yeah. elk in texas so a buddy of mine uh i know him through through work he's a he's an older man and he's he's on a he pays this farmer 500 bucks a season to hunt whitetail off his farm 
Well, this farm backs up to a high fence ranch that has elk on it. And the stand that he was at wasn't anywhere near this fence. Like, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good sized farm. And he's out there and he took the entire week off Thanksgiving to go hunt deer. And he's out there on like Tuesday and he's looking at deer coming to the feeder and all this. And this six by six elk walks out in East Texas. And he's just like, Oh my gosh. Uh, and so he's like, man, I'm by my, and he's an older guy. He's like, I'm by myself. Like I can't, there's no way I could clean that. And I I can't do it. So he he passes on it, lets it walk. Next day. He's there Wednesday. Elk comes back to the feeder. He's like, I can't do it. Like, I'm by myself. And I think I think he's like 65, cl- cl- closing in on He 70. needs to get some damn friends. No, no, wait, 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 wait for it. And he's just like, I just, I can't do it. It's too much. I can't do it. Thursday comes around. That elk walks back. He gets on his cell phone, calls his son-in-law. He goes, hey, are you still coming out here? And this is Thanksgiving Day. He's like, are you still coming out to the plane? He's like, yeah, I'll be there now. He's like, good. Click. <laughs> and took that elk down. He's got it on his wall now, and it it just got something happened with that uh-huh. high fence. It got out and it walked around. But that's the thing you can take. They're an exotic. It's like Axis. You can take them any time oh, of year. Man. I didn't and realize so. that, man. And just so y'all know, that's why you should always hunt fence lines. <laughs> just saying. Just your neighbors. Just saying. Always hunt fence lines. Tag, it was named Larry. Like the, it was a pet deer. But so that's. On that note, the the ranch that I've been hunting at um, down here that I've been super lucky to, to get an invite to, a fellow that just kind of has a crew of vets that he, he brings in, they've got, there's, he's surrounded on two sides by, or three sides by high fence. His isn't a high fence because it almost is, but he's never fenced it in. It's just the neighbors that right. have. But they've got a couple deer, and like that's something when you get there, it's like, hey, if you see anything with an ear tag, don't shoot it. Because there's been several that have get, o- get over, oh, and he, want, he wants those to stay to keep breeding because those are like groomed deer with the genetics. He's like, yeah. well, I'm not going to do this, but if they're going to get out from the neighbors, we'll just leave them out there. Right. Don't shoot anything with an ear tag because yeah. let them keep breeding. Absolutely. Because those things have been like bought and paid for. Like the neighbor run, they do like artificial insemination, yep. and they've got like stalls, and they run that shit like exactly like we were in cattle back east it's wild it's a oh, it's, it's a, a crazy it's a, concept to me it's definitely a big money game just uh and this was like years ago uh a mile of high fence down in freer and this is like five to ten years ago it was twenty thousand dollars for mile of high fencing and that's if you've got six seven hundred acres you're looking at a, a pretty good chunk of yeah, it costs more than that fencing. i don't remember because like i said this is a while ago. yeah i was talking to byron and like because you know, his son, they said, like, well, why don't we just, like, fence the rest of it in? And, like, we're not going to do any of the management, but at least or as far as, like, we're not going to be doing, like, the farming farm deer. But right. we could because this is a, this tract is, like, 20,000 acres or something. So if they threw the other high fence, they could at least control the population better yep. to manage it of the deer that are already naturally there. Because a 20,000-acre ranch, those whitetails aren't going to be seeing fences. You know what I'm no, saying? Like, no, there's no, going to be whitetails that never see it. Like, their home Unless range. they're, like hanging on where the fence line yeah exactly like the the home range is is way smaller and we kind of touched on that on a a previous podcast with me and perry and evan where coming down here to hunt it's kind of changed my concept because everybody was like oh texas is nothing but feeders and high fence well see that isn't it's a completely different one when everybody's running corn corn's not really a fucking it's it's not it doesn't help 
because there's corn everywhere, and so it's like whatever. And like the big bucks actually will associate that with pressure, and a lot of them won't actually even go to the corn piles. And 100%. so you're going to probably see nothing more than three and a half year old deer. The six, five, and six and a half year old deer aren't coming to corn. No, they just aren't. They're too smart because all the ones that did got killed when they were fucking three and a half year old deer. So the so our family place is like you're looking at 200 acres max. East Texas low fence. The biggest deer that I've taken off there was a 12 point. It scored right at 136. This is East Texas low fence. For South Texas standards, that's not a huge deer. That's a huge deer for fucking Southwest Virginia. It's a but, solid buck. But that's what I'm saying. For like South Texas, that's nothing. Uh, for East Texas, it's massive. Yeah. We have never seen this deer on camera. I've never seen this deer near a feeder. I saw this deer one time and I shot it. And this, we aged this deer and this deer was like five, five and a half. And I got him on the wall. Like, great deer, but never seen him before. Wasn't anywhere near the feeders where we have cameras. Like, none of that stuff. And the pasture that he was in, you're talking it's 400 yards to the back tree line from the stand on one side. And then it's, you know, another 232 yards to the right. And then back, you're talking 1,500 yards to the other fence line. Like, you've got room. And so there's no saying, like, oh, yeah, he's going to definitely pass by the corn or definitely going to pass by a game cam. You could never see that deer before and be walking around. Those big deer know. They that's how they get old. They stay away. Yeah, 100%. Like th- those guys are cagey and they understand pressure and they understand threats. Um it's going to put a bow in this one. So my dream hunt would probably be either Alaska or going to Central Asia and doing like Ibex. Um, I think it would be really cool just because I've obviously been there. If we could ever get to a point to where Afghanistan was stable, I think going to Afghanistan and doing an Ibex hunt would be fucking cool as hell. You know you can shoot Ibex in Texas, right? Yeah, you can you shoot can do a an fucking giraffe African, in Texas. Well, yeah, it's $45,000 on the YO Ranch. Yeah, I have <laughs> zero desire to shoot a fucking <laughs> giraffe in Texas. The plus side is, is you don't have to worry about IEDs over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be a lot more fun. <laughs> I mean, I can make some. I'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what you're looking for. Like, say, don't fly crazy. some broker fees, getting your shit back. That'd be crazy. See, I've never thought about hunting in like the Middle East, just because. Well, you, you can go to Tajikistan or fucking um, Kazakhstan. That's where guys, when they go to hunt ibex, is where they go. Man, I you, think I mean, you could be right next to the Afghan border hunting that's ibex crazy, right man. now. It's cool. I that's like. Wild. I associate the Middle East just because of like what I grew up in post 9/11. Dude, the Middle East is like a place you don't want to fucking be. So I have like, that's been ingrained ingrained in my head. My uncle was prior, or well, he's currently in the reserves now. But like, just seeing what him and his buddies have gone through, and I joined later on in in my life. I like, I just have no desire to be be over there in general, just because of like the the political well, stance going on. So well, there's a big difference as far as like. I have no desire to ever go to Kuwait again. That place sucks. But Afghanistan and Kuwait, you know, they're not even remotely. Like, yeah. Afghanistan, I mean, you're in the fucking Hindu Kush, man. Like, it's even, like, down in the desert in Helmand. I don't know. It's just, it is a beautiful country. It's one of those where you're just, like, sitting there. And it's kind of cliche, but, like, in Black Hawk Down when he's, like, you know, beautiful beaches, right. like, all this shit. Like, it, this would almost be a pr- beautiful place to visit or a cool place to visit. Like, that's exactly how I felt when I was in Afghanistan. Like, I remember flying into Bagram. For the first time, and I'm looking up at the mountains, and I'm like, God damn, Like this is awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Obviously, it's not that awesome. Right <laughs> well, now, but like, like, it, it could be, and it, and it used to be. That's the thing that's wild. I mean, we don't need to get into the history of Afghanistan, but like, there was a time when there was a huge hub for tourism. There was fucking like, you know, snow sports, skiing, Energizer. At a ma- there's a huge lithium mining operation operations that go on in Afghanistan. Energizer had a hub in Kabul. Kabul is a super developed city. It was a beautiful place, and a lot of people went there. But obviously, now not. Not that many people go there. Well, yeah. think of it in the reverse. Like, if you're somebody from, I don't know, just say, you, the UK, and you see America, are, and you all you know is New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, are you going to be like, oh, yeah, I want to go hunt there? You're not going to know shit about hunting if you're basing it on those three cities, yep. which is a microism. It has nothing to do with the rest of the country. Like, all we see is what we see on the news, and there's... Whole cultures of hunting and fishing in other countries that mm-hmm. we know jack shit about because that's not what that's not the information that's being fed to us. You have to seek it out. So I've had guys. This is actually wild, and it's something I've always been a little leery about, obviously because of work. But excuse me, I've had guys from Pakistan and Afghanistan follow me on Instagram. And initially, I'm like, oh my god, this is like some sort of like you know. Pokemon Go, fishing, yeah, <laughs> some sort of fi- fishing thing where they're, they're trying to. But then I look at them, and these are these are guys that hunt. Yeah, that you know they're out there. They're in like you know fucking like military camouflage, but they're out there with fucking like old school shotguns, and they're actually hunters. And somehow they found my page. I'm all, you know obviously I'm very, I don't follow them back. I don't have any contact or communication. But it's it's one of those things that it's like you know what like there's a whole culture of that that is going on in these countries that you would never think about and i think it'd be really cool at some point in life because i see like a lot of like the old vietnam vets going back to vietnam now and i think it'd be really cool to go back to afghanistan yeah. and be able to like go do a hunt do an ibex hunt like Dang. hang Without out with, with the with the locals dude afghan culture is pretty phenomenal like you know the, the food's solid even though they make the bread with their feet it tastes delicious <laughs> fuck it and oh, uh you never heard of you never heard of Afghan footbread? No. Oh man, like, not at all. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> man, I'll tell you what. That Afghan, opened my eyes up. To you you got to gotta remember, like, out of the three people sitting here, one of us is not military. <laughs> Afghan footbread is uh, is well, pretty infamous. So well, two of us have not been there. So they, they they stomp on the basically they stomp and like as they're like kneading the dough, they use their feet. Huh? And they don't. It's like crushing wine. Hi- hygiene. Oh, yeah, they make. Yeah, they yeah hygiene isn't a big thing over there. There's not a whole lot of baths. Dude, okay. so, so like they just you know slip off the old sandals and foot it away, and then yeah, they bake crazy. it and do all their stuff. But it's, it honestly tastes delicious. I've never gotten dysentery from the bread. I got it from the goat. Well, so well that was a, a thing <laughs> yeah. When, I think it was goat. <laughs> Anytime you get meat, you're just like, I think this is goat. When all the pandemic stuff hit, like a lot of the restaurants, you know, had trouble changing to the new standards, right? There's a place across the street from us called Kasara. It's a Persian cafe. And I was in there pretty recently and I asked, I was like, man, how did the you know pandemic affect on? He goes, it really didn't. I was like, really? He goes, well, yeah, we're halal. And I was like, I, you got to educate me. I don't know what that means. He goes, it's, we, we clean stuff a certain way. And so for us, nothing changed. Like we didn't have to change anything. And I was like, I was very curious about it. I was like, that's, I wouldn't have thought of that, expected that. I love the food over there. Like I eat, I eat there all the time. They give me the, like the best naan bread. Like I love it. I love and, bread. But it's that's just a, one of those things. That's you, essentially you don't think what about it. footbread is. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, cool. And so, but it's one of those things you don't it's like, think it's about. Like it. It's like it's their standards. Flatbread. 
Yeah. Yeah. But all like their standards are way different. And so like even though you're saying like, oh, they make up their feet, that doesn't gross me out because like they the stuff that I've eaten across the street at the Persian Cafe that's halal, delicious. Absolutely love it. Yeah, the, the animals have to be clean. They're clean. Like they're actually like cleaned. And then when they kill them, they bleed them. So they slice the carotid and they bleed them from the neck. There's like a whole process that has they to They probably go. take care of their shit way better than we do. Oh, I would believe that, man. Yeah, yes and no. I've never gotten like dysentery in the United States. From a, not like the deer that we clean. I'm yeah. talking about like mass production. No, no, probably. But the the biggest thing for them, like what they don't is like their immune systems are significantly better because of the, like the fecal matter that's everywhere in those countries. It's just, we don't need to go into crazy detail and all that, but like it's, it's a thing. And that's why Americans get dysentery a lot. And I had dysentery that makes tw- sense. twice. That's why in I never Afghanistan. made it on the Yukon trail yeah. or the Oregon trail either. <laughs> Dude, I <laughs> kept dying of dysentery. <laughs> well, the Yukon trail was like a spinoff of the Oregon trail. Yeah. It was the gold rush. One. Yeah. I remember both of them kept dying. Dude, I, I remember one of, one of my best friends dude growing up. He, uh, died he, of dysentery. No, but he en- he enlisted in the Marine Corps. Probably a little bit worse. <laughs> and uh, so he he deployed to I believe it was Afghanistan, uh, straight out of high school, right? And I was like, oh, I'm going to work because we were going to. Yeah. We talked about doing the this buddy program, but he told me. Um, long story short, we I think it was whenever you were able to Skype out there, like you were first started able to Skype in Afghanistan, and uh, he was in I think I believe he was in Kabul or Kabul, however you pronounce it. And he was telling me, he's like, man, I don't have any complaints other than the fruit. And I was like, what do you mean the fruit? He's like, well, because on base they would have vendors that came out. Well, the fruit was made with the shit water. Uh, And he goes, the fruit, so obviously fruits are primarily water, right? Yeah. So it would absorb. So his system couldn't handle it. Dude, and he's like, it tastes like shit. Like I bite into whatever they're growing and say it's an apple and it it tastes like an apple full of doo-doo. Dude, you know Japan, their fruit prices are like sky high, and their sushi prices are like dirt cheap. Well, I, I believe that. I yeah, could, it's, I it's could believe completely that. backwards. Yeah, from man. Here. They could they could turn around. They could go fish at the local docks and get bluefin tuna all day long. Oh, can you imagine? That'd be amazing, uh, dude. That I would love it. I'm I'm gonna try to do. My buddy's getting married not too, not too long in the next year, and I'm trying to set up like a a trio event like. We go duck hunting in Louisiana and then go down to um, southern Louisiana and go, try to go catch some tuna. And then we go party in Like New the Orleans. chandeliers? I, I don't know what it's called. Like we're like they, we take a boat Venice, out. Venice, the chandelier. Yeah, oh, Venice. Yeah. Venice, yeah, yeah. That's what it's called. Venice, the Venice area. And so I'm trying to set up a guide where it takes like, I don't know, 10 of us. Because there's, there's going to be like 25 total for the bachelor party. But there's only a hand, handful of us that want to hunt and fish. So I, I'm going to try to do like a we, we duck hunt, we go fish, try to catch some tuna, and then go party in New Orleans and like get all fucked up on uh, absinthe and shit. And so Have you seen so that next series? question, how do you program your strength and conditioning workouts? <laughs> so, so I'll answer that real quick. It depends on how much you drink a day. No, I'm just kidding. So yeah, I mean... Like, for real, what do you do? For, for bodybuilding. I mean, obviously, so th- this will be kind of interesting because you've got a guy that does bodybuilding competitions. You've got a guy who does strongman competitions. And you've got me, who's kind of a generalist at this point in my life, where I have to be, I want to be strong, but I have to still be able to run and do some endurance shit for the military. So, Caleb, like, as far as looking at it from a bodybuilding perspective, what do you primarily look at for strength and conditioning? 
So strength and conditioning, um, the conditioning part comes later whenever you are more in-depth into your competition prep, I'd say, because the end goal is like who is more conditioned, i.e. who is more shredded, has less water, has less bloat. So let's put that to the side. So real quick, let's just... What is the goal with bodybuilding? Like in the competition, what what is the end game? What are you trying to do? I think a lot of people don't really understand what bodybuilding truly is. So in in dude, don't don't get me wrong. This is like I'm such a newbie in this shit. Um, okay, yeah, from the amateur perspective, yeah. like the layman's everyday. So am- amateur's perspective is I want to look better than the guy to the left and the right of me, and look better as in conditioning, which is my what my muscles look like, what my fat percentage is, and uh, like how much I sweat on stage, per se. So I want to look better than him on the left and right of me. Um, the main goal for me on this last prep was to get down to as shredded as possible, and then you would then fill up per show day with, with carbs, ideally, to make your muscle bellies full. Wait, so... When you're saying, uh, and I, I mean, I know the difference. I'm, yeah, you know, in the world. But so, what's the difference between shredded and jacked, and like the different divisions? Because like a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. So when you're saying shredded, are you talking about striations? When you say jacked, are you talking about muscle size? Like go into that. Yes. So so from from my point of view, and granted, I'm not a coach. I'm not a professional. I am a guy that likes to work out and I was like trying to figure out well what what's the next step of working out right ideally the next step is either a strongman powerlifting or bodybuilding right if I wanted to be competitive so with with that being said on the competitive side of me of of the sport um, shredded is is literally striations like how low of body fat can I get jacked is like how how big I can get, I would say. And the say. striations are the lines that you can see flexing in your muscles. When yes, you, okay. yes, yes. So a perfect example is is just look at the past Olympia. Um, you got you got Terrence Ruffin, you got Chris Bum, uh, Bumstead, man. Those guys are f- fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Along with, you go to the heavyweight, so those are classic, which is what I did. And then you've got the heavyweight guys that are just mass monsters. They're the dudes that are 250, 260 on stage. Um, one of the guys at the local gym that I work out at is uh, Hunter Labrada. And you look at him. Dude, <laughs> so, phenomenal aspect, man. The dude's a freak of nature. Along with, uh, I, I believe his name, oh man, it's spelled so weird, but he's up in Canada. So I think he's a little bit French or something. Ian or, or Leon, Leon or Ian uh, Villiers. I, I, oh, fuck, man, I fucked his name up. I know I did. But the dude. It, you're the, a Marine and you're from Texas. Yeah. You're going to struggle with the fucking French name. <laughs> the, the dude's a heavyweight, man. Yeah. And the guy is a, he looks like a blue Belgium bull. Yeah. If you've ever looked, if you've ever seen a blue Belgium no, bull. Yeah, I got you. It is all mass. Go Google it. They're impressive. Dude, that, that's what this guy looks like. So, are you primarily like focus? You're you're focused on ISOs, right? You're you're doing isolation lifts. You want to target specific muscle groups. Yes. You want to make sure this pops over this because that's what the judges look at. There's like a whole science to how you're breaking down your workout. Uh, right? Absolutely. So, uh, so what? Like, I can't tell too much about this 
about my less prep as far as building my body versus getting shredded because I've never been that way before. I've never been lean um, and I've never been big and lean. So my, my first my first prep and I think everybody's first bodybuilding prep is like, let's see what you look like at a low body fat percentage and then we'll go into off season to grow your, your to, to improve, right? That's improvement season. So like I need my back to grow, I need my arms to grow, I need my, my legs to grow. So specifically my legs. So now my program is built around my legs. I do fucking heavy squats, high reps, and I do a lot of hamstring work, and then I do a lot of rack pulls. So when you're saying in season and off season, what defines bodybuilding in season and what defines bodybuilding off season? Like is there a mutual understanding between everybody in the sport like okay there's no contest going on about this time of the year and that's what we're all going to consider off season or is it just you personally saying like i'm not going to compete right now i'm going to work work on foundation i'm working on you know building up stuff i'm going to be in bulk mode or is it everybody at the same time like all right hey everybody we're not going to have contest so uh that's a that is a very good question man because it's very person specific so my off season is going to be all of 2021 i'm taking a whole year off to grow and with that um and keep in mind i'm at the amateur level so and i i could be totally wrong about this but this is my perspective on this so i'm taking all of 2021 off to grow and eat fuel my body, make sure my levels are right before I even step into another competition. On the pro level, I believe, I'm, so this year is different with the pandemic, obviously. So they had the uh, Olympia in December, which if I'm correct, Olympia is typically in October. So they had October, November. So they had almost three months of difference, right? Uh, so their off season would be from like this year it'll be from december until maybe march i haven't looked at what the pro schedule is so it's pretty much your off season is from the last show to the the beginning of the first shows of the next year because you you obviously want to qualify for the olympia and depending on how you program and how you schedule it it's like are you gonna do are you gonna try to win your first show or first two shows out of the year and then and then go straight into another small off season mm. and then go directly into prep for the Olympia or are you going to stay off season like hope you win these last two shows going to the Olympia which it which will be like a probably like a 16 week prep because those dudes are such an elite status I don't well, know well but that but that's like a something that people don't understand about body people don't live like that at that level with that low body fat percentage with those striations showings all, all the time it's it's not sustainable you're you're pissy all the time all the everything's time. pissing you off yep. you're hungry all yep. the time and the photos that they see everybody's seeing highlights and so yes. to do yes. those to do those preps you have to come back down you got to put some cars back in your Absolutely. system and then you got to come back up so when you do that, when you're saying like a mini off season, what you're doing is putting mass back on your body to let it be like <sighs> refuel, like take, to a, refuel. take a breath, yep. and then you go back into a prep, which is cutting that weight back off, yes. shedding that water, shedding those carbs. Absolutely, and no, so, yeah, you you hit it right, man. The the only person, and I'm speaking on local terms, man. I've got uh, Ricky Ricky Morton. The, these are who the people that that compete in my 
like uh, figure class. So I do right. cla- I'd like I would love to do classic physique forever, right? I think it's just the old so, school Arnold. Right. So the classic physique's old school Arnold, whereas yeah. like the what you're talking about, the mass monsters is just how much muscle you can stack on your body. Right. Okay. And, and maintaining like a tight physique, right? Um, so well then they ha- they open up two twelve, which is a little mix between both, I think. So we're talking immediate guys that are in my vicinity that I can see almost every day. You've got Ricky Morton. You've got Logan Franklin, uh, Jason Brown, and then I think Terrence Ruffin is coming down uh, to do a posing clinic. These dudes are you're talking uh, number number two. I think I think uh, Terrence Ruffin was number two in the Olympia this past year. You got Ricky Morton who placed Logan Franklin who placed Jason who I mean they all placed right. Yeah. And they're dude, you look you look at them in person. These guys are fucking insane looking. Yeah. Like, I would honestly say more in person, they're, they're more insane looking than they were outside of the Olympia photos that you watched. Just because it's like real life. Well, right? and that's the thing. I've always thought it was more impressive seeing seeing these guys that, yeah, you see them on stage and you see them cut. But I, I don't know if it's being in the athletic world and knowing what it takes to get yeah. there. But, like, I saw Phil Heath at a conference. I didn't, oh, know, dude, I didn't game talk over. to him, yeah. but I saw him, and I was just like, Jesus. The amount of time and energy that man had to put in to do that to oh, his man. body is crazy. Oh, man, And it's it was insane. just, in, I mean, he's earned everything he's gotten. To, like, it's awesome. It, it's impressive. It's it's beautiful. And But it's like just walking around like that. And I know there's a lot of people that would want to see him, like, 100 percent of the time stage ready it's not sustainable dude like, I, I tell you man i tell you you'll what, die <laughs> like, yeah, it's, not yeah. good. it's not healthy they they ha- i well see this is this is a crazy part because science right mm-hmm. so i would assume that to gain more size because everybody competes at a certain weight class right right so and, to that's, get, and that's what you choose yes yeah. Yeah, yeah right right so to gain size obviously you have to put on body fat or you have to put on weight in general, and I relate that to body fat. But these guys, man, dude, they're they've got it so cut out because they're at such an elite level that it's like, where's your body fat at? Like, where where did it go? Because they're always they seem always lean. They seem always top notch at an elite level, always lean. So it's, man, it's kind of a downer to to be at, at an amateur level and then seeing these guys at a pro level. I don't know. It's fucking crazy. Have you have you seen Pumping Iron? Yeah, of course yeah, you have. Yeah. Of course you have. When Arnold talked about, he's like, I'm perfect right now. Yep. He's like, I can't increase size on anything because I would have to increase size in everything. Yep. Because I am perfect. And I feel like for bodybuilding, that's what everybody's attaining to. Their, their own version of mentally perfect, which, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, at the same time would match the judge's goal of mentally perfect. And so when they saw him, the symmetry was there, the size is there, the striations are there, the the fat content, water content, all of it matches at the same time. And reaching that and getting to that certain point is great, but the difference is, is, is it sustainable to walk around at that months at a time? And that's where I feel like going back to our first point of like having an off season or not, yeah. getting to that elite level Knowing when you're off season and when you're on season, that's one thing. And then like knowing 
how long it's going to take you to get quote unquote stage ready is another thing. And so how do you feel like going as an amateur, trying to go pro, do you feel like eventually you'll get to a point where your stage ready like phase, your cut phase is going to be shorter or do you think it's going to be the same? You're going to have to prep Ooh. the same amount of time. Oh, yeah. So that that is – so hopefully – so next, next – I'll, I'll put it this way. Next year, I'll, I want to do a 16-week cut. I did, a, I did a 10 and a half, maybe we can call it 11-week cut for the show where I lost. I went from 185 to 158. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably had two or three more weeks left in me to cut to where I was like legit show ready where I was like 3% lower. Right, three percent body fat or lower, probably. Did um, you get a uh, BMI test, like the body pot or anything like that? I, d- I didn't, man. There, there is a a general chart that um, fuck you can Google it, like a yeah. body fat chart where it's like, oh, if you see um, abdominal veins, you're like eight percent, right? So I had I, you know, and that's a give or take. But those two, are variable. Yeah, because yes. I'm, I'm probably like. 20, 25% body fat, and I got one big-ass vein that runs down my core. Right, so right. Like, so that that's a give-or-take thing. Like, I had abs. You could see, you could literally, like, my quads looked... You had abs like a fucking cheese grater, bro. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, I, I kept the all, I kept the team updated with, like, my progress. It seemed like almost every week I'd send in, like, yeah. my update pictures. Um, at the end of it, like, my quads looked like literally a loaf of bread because of the striations. I didn't have striations in my glutes, which worried me throughout my whole prep. So um, I always worry about those ass striations. What's, what, so what's, in your prep, what's the? And this is this goes back to like just general people. Like yeah. spot training is not a fucking thing. You can't go into a gym and be like, "Hey, I want to keep everything the same, but I want the, yeah. the abs to show the rest of my body. I want to keep the same." You can't do that. No, that's not a thing. You build muscle. Yes. Now, oh well. So you can do that very, very incrementally. Yes. You can target a specific muscle group. Well, yeah. But if, yes. But, but like you can't very, tell me, like, I want to lose 20 pounds from my fucking stomach only. Absolutely I'm going to do crunches and yeah, tone up I'm only going to do crunches for it's 30 days. Like, you build muscle and slabs. That's so, why but, we but, talk about compound lifts. That's why we yes. talk about whole thing. Even a bodybuilder, they still do some compound movement. Yes, absolutely. Dude, I do rack pulls, yeah. bench press. Uh, I, dude, I squat. I just got I just got sleeve like knee sleeves, and I tell you what, man, I've not squatted with knee sleeves, and uh, because I don't know why I'm lazy, well, but sleeves have helped wonders in my squat. Well, I guess my question is, is do you think it's per person? Like, so you're saying you're worried about your your glute striations? Is that a problem area for you, or do people in general, when they're losing body fat, hit those areas generally the same? Yes, so, I will say yes to that. People generally hit, like, it depends on the person, right, uh, in where they hold the fat. Clearly, like, you look at me, you can see my arms. I've got nice arms. I've got, like, nice body. But my stomach, dude, I hold all my fat in my stomach and my lower back. If I flex my quads, you can see the veins of my quads. Uh, my ass is still, like, a little bit striated, whatever. Right. But, um, but ultimately, like... I need more time in my prep to get rid of my stomach, my low back, and like to really bring my my glutes in. Uh, so it it's kind of person specific, but it's definitely a time thing for everybody. Okay, and th- and that's all it takes is time. So, and back to our, our earlier point, consistency. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man. So with your training style, right? And this is my. 
I don't want to say gripe, but like Mike, I, I don't know, like if I was personally to do like a prep, my concern just with what I've seen, like most of the guys that I know that compete in physique or in bodybuilding, which I, I don't know a ton of people, granted, physique but I know several. Got, physique, the guys that don't want to do legs. Maybe yeah, the, the guys that wear board shorts because they got skinny calves. Um, all their cardio, all their endurance work is usually like incline treadmill and they just walk. And I get that, that burns calories efficiently. However, for me, you're not working on being on the mountain. You're not working on any sort of like true endurance. Yes. Like walking on a treadmill on an incline with no weight, with no, and just doing it for 20 minutes a day, yep. while is going to be an efficient way to burn some calories, when you go to elevation, you've, you've done no true stress on your system. And so, yes. like bodybuilding doesn't, like, from a diet standpoint, there's stress on the system, but from an actual like work capacity standpoint, there's not a significant amount of stress, and you're not getting any of that like physiological response to like a heavy stressor from like any sort of you know stimulus as far as like hard work. And so, like, do you think that that's going to be a deterrent or not a deterrent, but a detractor when you're trying to go up on the mountain? Oh, that's so. Whenever I start getting close to my Idaho hunt is essentially well we can we can push this over to that man I've not rucked in years I've not ran in years my whole prep was stair climber or incline treadmill because that's what I had available and that's what that's what most guys that's yeah. my understanding that's what they use because it is a very you like time to caloric burn it's very effective yes 20 30 minutes steep incline or stairmaster and obviously there's going to be some translation to that to you know the mountain however you're not getting any of that cardiovascular like yeah. true like actual stress on the yeah. cardiovascular system. And, and don't don't get me wrong man i pushed my i pushed myself to limits whenever i was on the treadmill i pushed myself till i damn near fell off of it and so my cardio didn't go over an hour an hour a session but i pushed myself till like I was almost falling off. Just with uh, the speed, the step speed? Yes, yeah. yes, with the step speed. Now, does that make up for elevation? Absolutely not, man. The only thing that I think could do that is restrictive breathing. So, what do you do? Tie a belt around your neck or get a mask? Like, There's a mask. That yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. I don't even yep. know if that's... It's not the same thing because it's... Just because you're stri- you're restricting your airflow doesn't mean you're changing the oxygen. Yes, yeah, you're right. strengthening your diaphragm. But, yeah, yeah your O2 is just going to be the, the same as yeah. your... You're getting it. So that's where I think by honestly with my training, what I've noticed for the house of the mountain is a, a lot of anaerobic, like Dude, heavy. And that's lunges, where like, man, lunges, lunges, like, I don't want to say like CrossFit, the brand, but that like, metabolic conditioning yes. type those no, no, high I'm, intensity, uh, intensity yep. workouts when you're in an oxygen kind of fucking like deprivation yep. state throughout where you're doing that gasp. That is then going to help as you, you go yes. up and you're sitting at, Especially coming from here. What are we... I mean, we're at fucking sea level. Yeah, yeah. Sea we're at sea level. Like we are. We're level. below sea level. Like, yeah. Is there a fucking levee? Like, I mean, we're literally the bay is <laughs> like half a mile away from here. No, so. you, were, you were at the place that Harvey flooded. You were at sea level. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't... To go lower, you are underwater. Yeah, we're, so this ain't New Orleans. You're going from here to my house, which is... When you see it, I'm on the plains. Yeah, but you... And then there's the fucking mountains... I'm at 6,000 well, feet. Not all of us can afford such a pretty view, you big money poser. <laughs> Huge big money poser. Dude, I went I went out to, to Colorado once uh, a few years back, and we went to a like trampoline park. 
I think I jumped around 30 seconds, and this is f- coming from I was in a I was in a reconnaissance <laughs> course, not not the Marine Corps recon course, but we our battalion mimicked it ideally, and where I was rucking, dude, all the fucking time, my cardio was through the roof. 30 seconds in the jump park, and I was fucking vomiting. Dude, when I first got to Carson, I had to do the new PT test for the army. Like the first week I was I there, they were doing it. I did. I was so there's a sprint drag carry. It's basically just like. Is what it is. You're sprinting. You're dragging some shit. You're carrying some shit, dude. During that, my lungs. I felt like I just inhaled glass. Like yeah. My lungs, I I did well on that one because it was a sprint. Then at the very end of the test, you have a two mile run. I ran that motherfucker in like eighteen thirty. Like I've never run that slow. I'm, I'm a slow guy, but I've never run that slow in my yeah. life. I ran that, that dude. It was so bad. Oh, yeah, I couldn't man. breathe. I felt like I was breathing glass the whole time. I could only imagine. Man. Yeah, it was rough. So like you you get acclimatized. I still can't run great there can't run great anywhere but <laughs> i definitely can't run great there but going from sea level to here what my concern would be in a like a bodybuilding type yeah. style or even strong man because you guys do some anaerobic shit but it is i mean and you've got matt well, like, you're like you, to say you way too the, fucking much man the you've got the seriously <laughs> like harriet all and i found that well, out dude 270 <laughs> that's a lot of oxygen that's that's the well, thing is you need a shitload of oxygen Den- well i did a show in denver about a month ago mm-hmm. and it was back to back from another show i did in south texas yep. so i did one show at sea level in edinburgh uh south texas and then I turned around and did one in Denver the next weekend. And did you feel a difference? Oh yeah. Besides the different, like I was already fighting some injuries and stuff from yep. the stuff in South Texas, but we had a sandbag carry. You carried a three hundred pound sandbag and a two seventy five pound sandbag, loaded it in a sled, and then dragged the sled back. I snowboard every year. Yep. I love snowboarding. I've never had like issues with it. I'll go up to the mountain. I'm fine. It's everything's been Gucci, like all good. I went up and loaded those fucking sandbags. I got done with that event. I finished it. I laid on the ground and I was just like, somebody, <laughs> I called my friend that was there in Colorado. I was like, you bring me one of those oxygen things or your friend is going to die. Like, and they shut up with him. But I believe it. It, it hasn't been like normally it hasn't been a problem. Because normally I go I go up and snowboard. It's never never an issue. Carrying a three hundred pound sandbag, that's a different deal. But it pretty significant me, uh, differences in activity. Yeah, there. yeah, no shit. Well, the first time that I ever went up and tried to work out in Colorado, I was in high school. I went up to a Young Life camp, and our coaches were like, "Oh, y'all are going to be gone for a week. Make sure you get those workouts in because we had summer workouts." And so, being captains on the football team, we were like, "All right, cool." We were at Fraser. We were like two hundred. Where we were standing was like two hundred feet from tree line. Never been exposed to that altitude in a workout situation. And uh, so we're like, all right, guys, we got two hours of free time. Everybody on the football team, we're going to get a group workout in. Let's let's get a, a good jog. We're going to go up to the, the workout center here. And so we jog up. We're crawling up the steps like, what's going on? What happened? None of us understood. And then it took a couple days to realize, like, oh, hey, this isn't sea level. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. It's and it's even so I remember when I first got to Colorado the wife and I this was one within the first couple weeks maybe in the first week we went we were trying to find where I was going to be doing some hunting later in the season based on my tags and do some scouting and it was unreal we ended up get, we went to this one spot got out of the vehicle where we got out of the vehicle it was 11,500 feet Ooh, shit. and we were in the valley oh the so mount- you're at the bottom 
Yeah. God damn. Does that, like, if you were to walk up a few feet, would that have count as, like, a 12-er? Like, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> like, if you drive up 13 and walk a 1,000, is that a 14-er? Like, what's going on? I mean, probably. Oh I mean, some people do that. There's some 14-ers where you don't have to walk very far. I can't even fathom, like, how tall that is, man. Like, Dude, it's wild. So that, the... I don't know. The the big money posers quote came from the picture of uh, my wife Caroline and then my cousin Emily holding the HLE flag at yeah. over fourteen thousand feet. They did not beer stat, and I was actually gone. I was hunting, and they just like took the flag and went up there. It was pretty cool. They oh, came that, back that and cool, showed man. me that picture. Oh, yeah. You're on a mountain, obviously big money poser. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> oh, you can afford to hike up a mountain, like, <laughs> <laughs> bro. Let, let me tell you about how much money I make in hunt on. Like, what the fuck? I'll yes. tell you how much money I lost on hunting. <laughs> I didn't make shit. <laughs> That's the other thing. Is like people think like, oh man, you eat nothing but deer meat or whatever. Oh, it must be so cheap. Yeah, let me tell you how much ammo is. Yeah, <laughs> okay. let me tell me. Let me tell you how much time I put into this. Yeah, shit. that's the thing. Is like. If you start doing any sort of, like, time cost analysis... No, I don't. It makes me sad. Or if you do any sort of, like, just travel cost analysis, with as much traveling as I've done over the past, I don't know, year for hunts, like, yeah. Dude, I remember telling Allie, man, because you you would obviously put in the group chat, like, oh, I'm going here. I'm like, like, look, man, I was enlisted. Like, I get officers make... not. It's not a significant amount, but it's a decent amount more. I was like... I remember living the listed life, married, but I lived in the barracks, so I was like capitalizing on. Did you everything. have a Camaro? No, God no. I drove a O three F one fifty V six, like ninety nine percent interest rate, dude. But I was like, man, I don't understand how like people can afford to do these trips, right? But in the big scheme of things, the trips you took weren't really that expensive. I was just that cheap. I mean, really, like, really was because we we had in the military. You get the most time off out of any job. Tell me what job you can have that gives you thirty days off a year. I don't plus know. four days. Yeah, federal plus, holidays. You yeah. get a four day. Yeah, that was like the back to the kind of big money posers where everybody's yeah. like, dude, how the fuck? Like, are you still in the army? Like, how do you do all these travel? Uh, all this traveling? It's like, whoa. I capitalize on the time off that I'm allowed. Dude, Thanksgiving and yeah. Christmas, you could, if you worked it out right, you could have two months off. If you worked it out appropriately. And that that's if you had a cool command, right? A cool a cool chain of command that, that let you take these days. Because, um, like, ours, ours was super strict, man. If you went on Special Liberty, which was a three-day, like, outside of a, a typical holiday... Dude, they were like, you have to turn in this so that I know you left on on this Friday, but you couldn't leave after you couldn't leave until four thirty p.m. and then you had to check in by Monday at zero eight, right? So if I was like the SOG on duty, I'd find out who put in special leave. I'm like, yo, go fucking check out. We're not gonna tell anybody about this shit. Enjoy your like extra time off, dude. In Marine, the Marine Corps is honestly more draconian with that shit than the Army is. Like- yeah. I've always been pretty lucky with being able to sneak away. Granted, I had a guy just, oh, uh, special, I think specialist Cordova, um, longtime follower, great kid. He's getting ready to go green to gold, be be an officer. It's awesome shit. Awesome, man. I hope he does well. Yeah. He's been, you know, asking me some questions and we've been talking back and forth for a while. So shout out to him. Don't be a shithead. Yeah. (laughs) Don't be, (laughs) honestly, prior enlisted officers are either the best or the worst. So, um, be the best man. But, 
they uh, he hollered at me and he's like, "Are you are you still in there?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "You know, you're always traveling for these hunts." And I was like, "Well, there's a couple of things. Want to take advantage of it too? Like, I'm a, I am a captain, so like yeah. I can get away with a little more, yes. right? Like, yeah. like private fucking snuffy isn't going to be able to take a four day, you know, like not not every month. Yeah, there there, there is a a benefit as you as you get up there, and so like especially right now, I'm on staff. As long as I time it right, and I'm very calculated with how I sit there and I like. If you're in the military, be smart about when you ask for leave, right? Like yes. immediately after a significant field problem or, you know, maybe right before or something like that. Like, like don't wait till the middle of like some, some good training. To try yeah, to absolutely. Get Cause off. if, if training's going on, you're not getting it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a point blank. Yeah. And, and I've learned through the years on, on how to ask and when to ask yeah. and, and that sort of, there's a strategy to how you try to get some time right. off. Marine Corps is a little, a little strict, but dude. My last six months in, my battalion commander found out that like I was a big bow or that I was bow hunting, and he's a big giant bow hunter. That's he the g- best when you have a chain of command that hunts. He set. gave me the last six months of my time in service, literally off because I had hip surgery, so I was recovering from that. And then he found out he's like, "Oh, you you hunt right?" He's like, "Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. You know, I do. I do." He's like, "Well, I don't want to see your face until you're checking out a battalion." And I was like, "Cool. When do you want me to show back up to work?" He's like. I don't, and that's whenever I connected. Maybe it's because you were really bad at your job, and he didn't want you around. <laughs> Dude, probably. No, 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 I was awful, man. The only thing I could do was PT and lead people. As far as like my job capacity went, I didn't know anything about it because I didn't have the training for it. And that's just reality. Not that I faulted anybody. It just that's just how I fell along the books. But um, yeah, I got super lucky, man. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't want to see you until." day x so dude i fucking hunted 100 like 20 hours straight connected on a black bear and then i was out of the marine corps so i got lucky hell yeah i got super lucky with that man well i just realized that you have the best name to switch careers whenever you feel appropriate captain cox (laughs) so like whenever you're ready just you know Go to Vegas. I'm sure they can hook you up. Dude, they were giving me shit in the uh, at, at camp for that. They were one of the guys looks at me and he's like, "Has anybody ever called you a cock?" And I was like, "Yeah, never. Only <laughs> since I was in like the fucking third grade." <laughs> well, I get like the same thing with me. Like people say, "Oh, pain in my ass." Like, uh, no shit. I'm about to show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to get the uh, Luke Luke likes a lot. Uh, dude, I, w- I want to hang out with Anthony. Man, he sounds like a he's fucking cool shit hog guy. Yeah, dude. He's a he was a cool dude i'm really glad he got to come down to camp granted we got our asses kicked poor brain it was deer weren't moving at all it was late season just i was i was positive that we were like i was gonna get him on deer fucking no he didn't, he didn't connect at all nobody did oh man we didn't kill anything late season i missed with my muzzleloader at like 160 because i just gotten that muzzleloader i shot it zeroed it and hadn't really gotten to play with it much no idea how high to hold on a 50 cal muzzleloader for at yeah. 160 when I see it. Right. And I, I shot right over the top of it. Completely different than any other rifle. Was yeah, it? dude. I don't know shit about muzzleloaders. Like, I'm pretty good with a rifle. I use, like, anything you know under 300, I don't usually miss. But that, that muzzleloader, I flat out missed. Um, I never, I've never, i never shot muzzleloader. I wanted I wanted to get one because it extends our season out to, what, end of January-ish? Like the middle of January? Not sure. I, I think it does, but I've never, I've never personally shot a muzzleloader. Um, well, by guess. the end of January, I'm usually pissed off and I don't want to deer hunt anymore. 
I'm like, fuck these ducks. I'm getting after yeah. them. Dude, <laughs> that, that's my biggest part of duck hunting and why I don't do it is because it's in the middle of deer season. And I've got a, I've got a buddy that's down here. He's a big duck hunter. He, I think he likes duck hunting more than he likes um, deer hunting. There's a lot of guys like that. Well, it's it's the whole thing with duck hunting, is, and that's one of the reasons I I enjoy. If I have the right crew with me, I enjoy it more than I enjoy deer hunting. Deer hunting, it's like you got to sit there and read a lot because I mean, there's only so much to fucking look at. Yeah. And when I duck hunt, I'm f- talk with my buddies. Yeah. I, fucking yeah. around. You can see those dudes coming from thousand yards off. Yeah. It's something ridiculous. And if you're good, you can tell what kind of species they are. And you have more time to get ready. You're not... It's not as quiet. It's not as serious. Like, yeah, the the meat reward isn't as high. Yes. But the experience and the camaraderie is higher. And so the guys that you're hanging out with, the guys that you're trudging through the mud... Even if you don't get shit, those are memories that you're going yeah. to get back. So if you're hunting for meat, then yeah, duck hunting is probably not the way you want to go. But if you're hunting for hunting, that's like the sake of hunting and everything that goes with it, I think duck hunting is better than deer hunting. Oh man, I I can I can agree with that a little bit, man. Uh, one of, one of so my buddy down here, he runs like a he runs a like a food prep business, right? So. Whenever it comes duck season, he incorporates that into his meals that he meal preps and he yeah. figures out the macros and shit. Well, yeah, that's one of the duck is actually available, like the yeah. protein, fat, and all that shit count. Yeah, it's just the bobcat and the cougar we couldn't find. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, and uh, and so I went out hunting with him a couple times, and it was cool because we'd be drinking beer, chilling. It's it was like chilling with the boys, like what we're doing right now. You could take a fucking. Uh, griddle out there, and yeah, cook in the blind, absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, and and that was a cool aspect. But I'm like, man, I'm trying to put meat in well, the freezer. But that's the other thing is like, you better be physically fit if you're gonna if you're if you're public land hunting and you're doing it, you better be ready to hike. Yeah, you, yeah. That that mud is thick, it's so you're, thick, man. it's gonna fucking wear your. Do you guys remember out. what question started the last thirty minutes? What it's what. The question was, what does Caleb, or what do you, your programming? What, yeah, what you programming. It was program? programming. <laughs> I, think, I think it was programming. Yeah. 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 But I feel like we've done a really good job of like, keeping <laughs> yeah. everything like, yeah. together. No, it, it was good. No, I, I like that. I think the other conversation is pretty solid. long answer. Yeah, yeah was, that was, uh, we. Sorry. We yeah, hope we got the answer you wanted. All right, programming <laughs> is push, pull, legs, arms, rest. <laughs> Sorry, we just, could have just started with that. Yeah, sorry, right, Caleb. Cut it down. Or not, Caleb. That. Garrett, you, you've got uh, you've got three minutes. Yeah, push, push, pull. What's your strength and conditioning program? Uh, so my programming is I do the cube method for strongman by Josh Thigpen for my overhead work, and for the rest of it is a combination of the cube method and shit I made up. What's the, what's break down that the cube method? Cube method. It's a it's a four week kind of cycle. And you can do it over and over and over again. And that's the best part about it is it's a small thing. It's not a 12-week prep. It's not a 16-week prep. It's four weeks. You've got one week, you're working on one thing, speed, another thing, strength, and another thing, you're maxing. And then it changes the second week and it changes the third week. So each thing gets its own attention. The fourth week is rest and recuperation. And then you turn it back over and you can change it. So say... Your focus on squat one cube method was 
conventional. Okay, then the next one you did sumo. Then the next one you did uh, camber bar. The next one you did front squat. That can build into a giant program where you never touch the same implement twice. But you're still doing a squat variant. Then on the same front, and that's why it works so well for strongmen, is you can be doing deadlift. You could be doing uh, conventional sumo, axle, uh, trap bar, and all that. And it's all done in a four-week segment. And that's why it works great. But I found my body responds to the cube method better in overhead. And I respond to longer form training better for my squat and my deadlift. Now, that's not going to be the same for everybody. That's just coming from you know the experience that I have and trying different programs and working with different weights and different methods. And I just know that I work better in certain things and I don't work better in other things. And so my overhead using the cube method has gone up just absolutely stupid in the time that I'm doing it. When I, I broke my collarbone and I separated my shoulder when I was in high school and I didn't know it. And well, I knew about the shoulder. I didn't know about the collarbone. And then I got to college and they x-rayed me. And they're like, Oh, when'd you break your collarbone? And I was like, I didn't break my collarbone. They're like, uh, yeah, you did. And I was like, Nope, didn't do that. They're like, I'm showing you the x-ray right now. You broke it and it healed back. And I was like, Oh, uh, I have the exact same thing. Yeah. happened with my femur. Yeah. Oh, well, fuck, your favorite? Yeah, dude, so it was high school football, senior year, state championship game. Fucked up my leg. I thought I tore my... They told me I tore my quad. I did. It was oh. a partially torn quad. But what actually happened was I got hit. It cracked the femur. Ugh. I kept playing. The quad was fucked. The quad tightened. Because I didn't go to the orthopedist for weeks. After it all like t- like started to heal back, it tightened up. And then I tore my quad later. So then when I went, they were like, oh, it was a torn quad. They didn't even look at the. I don't even know. You know, the they, they think it's muscular. They don't look at skeletal. And so when I, I was at Fort Campbell years later with all these knee problems, and then my physical therapist, she was a DPT. She was Why a is your femur shaped like a lightning bolt? <laughs> Literally, she was like, dude, she, she goes, when did you crack your femur or break your femur? I was like, I've never broke my femur. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, you did. And I was like. And she showed it to me. I have a huge spur. Like, it's a yeah, straight line. And then exactly. it looks like a, a, you know, a boob coming off the side of it. Like, it's like this big <laughs> loop. And she's like, that's a that's a crack and where it healed. I was like, what? And I kind of explained what happened. And she, dude, I played the rest of the fucking football game. Yep. I played, I played 10 more games with a broken collarbone and I didn't know it. They that's gave insane. me, they put a brace on me. And it... <sighs> You just you played through it, man. We've done absolutely not even remotely better at staying on the rails. <laughs> no, no, we we did at the beginning. Well, it's because we don't get to hang out often, so yeah. we're trying to do all the I, same thing. I texted at once. Perry and I was like, "Hey, dude, you think we went off the rails? Fuck the way you hear this shit." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think we did good this time because we, we started kind of good written, and then it got it worse. We we fulfilled our written out prophecies. Nope, we've only done like three out of seven. All right, actually, yeah. let's do this. Let's do this. No, no. I, Strength and conditioning training. Let's get back to that. Cool. Let's actually hit this. Let's let's wrap this one up. Yeah. We'll at least tie the bow on one, and then we'll go off on whatever the fuck we're going. Deal. Cool. Okay. Deal. Deal. All right. So you go, then I'll go, and we'll tie this up. All right. So, cool. What was the question? <laughs> strength and conditioning. What, yes, I have strength and or conditioning. So what what's your the kind of your tactic strategies for strength and conditioning? Well, beyond what you've already talked about. So I mean, my goal is to go pro. I'm. In, so you want to go pro and strong, man. You're an amateur strong man now. Right. You've done very well in your last couple competitions. I've qualified. First, second place. I've qualified for the Arnold. I've, I 
consistently hit top two, three, and whatever contest I compete in. Uh, Garrett's the most humble guy I know, by the way. No, I'm saying I'm saying that preferencing it, like no, I'm <laughs> preferencing like where I'm at. And I started up getting my well, ass handed very, to very me well. when I started. Like <laughs> I've just I've gotten the hang of it with the help from Anthony and Gabe and Josh, and they you know told me to get my head on my ass and do things correctly. Like he's thick with a couple C's. Yes, like three to be exact, like X's but with C's. But anyway. What I do now is just try to be generally strong, and because our events can literally change the day of, and it's happened multiple times, so you have to be ready for whatever. Uh, my biggest weakness right now is grip, so I'm using Josh Thigpen's grip guide. This dude held 600 pounds a hand. Jeez. No straps. That's impressive. Picked it up. <laughs> 600 pounds a hand. That's most more than most people's double-handed deadlift with straps. 600 pounds a hand. Josh is an incredible dude. He ran the show the other... Uh, I guess... Fuck, that was yesterday. Uh, how long is this podcast? Uh, we're coming up on two hours. <laughs> Sorry, Mariah. We love you. But, no, so I'm doing his grip guide because that was the weakest part of my game. So in my strength and conditioning training, like... For strongman, we have 60 to 90 seconds, depending upon the event. And so you have to be able to do perform that event for 60 to 90 seconds. A lot of times it's for reps. The, the maxes have become more rare. Uh, so when you're doing your conditioning, you've got to be able to keep that going for the 60 to 90 seconds. A lot of people will do a, a max and like take nationals last year for example the max law or the log was 320 for max reps in 60 seconds some people couldn't even do it one time but there were some people that could just sit there and rep it you've got to be ready to be able to do it because if you can't stay in pace for 60 seconds if you're not conditioned for that event you're going to tax out and you're going to get thumped by a guy who just put the time in to get his breathing right so you really have to focus on both. Like, yeah, the point of strongman is to be the strongest person in the room. But if you can't be the strongest person in the room for sixty seconds, then you're going to get your ass handed to you. So, yeah, that that makes total sense. And I think that kind of so, you know, kind of for me, I remember being told when I was a young—I don't remember—I was either a, a older cadet or a young officer. Like, you, you either have to be at a fairly high level at everything we have to be fucking really good at one thing right well but that for at least for my sport that doesn't carry over no not at all but like from like the, the army perspective right from the leadership like being a being oh, an officer yeah yeah, yeah. That, yeah and yeah. so you either need to be like solid at pretty much everything or very good at one thing well i'm probably never going to be a, a great runner i'm short i'm wide though um I like you know, I've always been fairly strong pound for pound relatively speaking for somebody who doesn't compete in shit and so like lifting so it was like one of those things so my training it's like okay I'm going to be strong it's not that hard to be one of the strongest guys in the art or like in your unit because there's just not that many guys that are lifting well, super heavy and so <clears throat> but I still need to be have endurance especially with what I want to do and so my, my methodology is you know I, big three for my lifts try to hit those I love different accessory work I like Atlas Stones I really like the strongman style of training eventually I'd like to to 
shift over when I'm done with the army and I'm done doing all that shit. Maybe do some some old man strongman competitions when I'm at that point in life. And so I, I, I play with that. I've got Atlas Stones from 55 to 265 in my garage, and I love playing with them. Um, they're a lot of fun. Um, and I like doing some of that other stuff. But obviously I lift, big, really big in lifting. It's my, my favorite part, all that shit, lifting heavy. But then also I hate running, but you got to run in the Army. So I do try to do the, the endurance. I try to do a mix of metabolic conditioning, endurance work, and then strength training, and then just kind of be well-rounded. As long as I can do a little bit of everything – and just be better at lifting than most people. That's kind of that's kind of what I shoot for. Well, and a lot of it's got to be tailored to what you're doing. So somebody commented on a TikTok that I posted. That he's like, I'm 14 and I can bench more than you. And I was like, well, yeah, I don't bench. Like, yeah. It has no carryover to what I'm doing. If I do anything remotely related to that, it's a log. I roll it up my chest and I do incline press. Yep. Completely different. What benefit do I have for bench pressing? If you've got the goal of hitting your... Is it the 1,500-pound total? 1,500-pound powerlifting total and then a marathon under five hours. Right. So back to our point Same earlier, thing. what do you need to be doing? You need to be running. You need to be doing squat bench and dello. Exactly. So. Yep. Well, I brought a road bike when I got to Colorado. That's been a lot of fun. For being like kind of a – what I run heavier, my fucking knees, I have a bad knee, and so it, it flares up. So being able to – if I'm not feeling great, just hit eight, ten miles on the road bike. It's pretty yep. cool. That rolls us into our joint pain question. That's perfect, actually. Dude, look at that segue. Look at us staying on track. Holy shit. <laughs> and I'll live two hours later. Yeah, two hours, two to get hours back on later. Track. It's you, a long track, but we still Do you back. lift with joint pain? I'm going to turn that over to Garrett, and then I might jump in there because I have really bad joints. The, the product is called Absorbing. It is like icy hot for horses, and it sucks, but it helps. Uh, a lot of your joint pain. Is conducive of a bigger issue. So, like, I've got tendonitis in indicative, not conducive. I said inducive. Oh, I thought you said you wanted my dick. Oh, it's indicative. Inducive is also a good one. He wants my PP. I think indicative is the right word. We'll look it up and we'll fight about it later. I'm gonna look it up right now. That's gross. Uh, So back to back to joint pain. So yeah, so I use absorbing, but. Usually, what ends up happening is if I'm having tendonitis in my patella tendon or in my left Achilles tendon, which I've been dealing with pretty recently, uh, it's because I'm not stretching. Like it's I'm not doing my hurdler stretch. I'm not doing my calf stretches, and I'm just overworking it because of the the amount of time that I'm using those muscles. Because in damn near all of my events, those muscles are needed, and so if I'm not stretching them right and I'm not giving them the recovery that they need, they're going to tighten up, and that's what gives me my joint pain. So so I, I will give you that, but I think there there's two total aspects of joint pain in itself. You, you have the uh, stress aspect, which, is, which comes from working out too hard or too much load on said joints, and then, and then you have the, the diet aspect, which a lot of people are figuring out that, like, Certain type of carbs comes... Inflammatory foods. Yeah. We yes, in, inflammatory foods. Yes. Uh, uh, we'll just say that yep. in general. Yeah. Which is pri- primarily carbs, but dude, even some red meats with fats puts too much inf- inflammatory aspect on the joints, man. See, I've never... So, personally, when I cut out a lot of the wheat, 
you know, everybody, you know, there's a big joke yeah. about, you know, the whole gluten-free thing, but there's an actual real thing, and, yes. and gluten causes an inflammatory reaction within yep. your system, pretty much for everybody. Everybody has that to some degree. Like, some people are more sensitive to gluten than others, but, yeah, I get the whole, like, joke on the, the gluten thing. I've never personally, with the, when I cut out all that shit, the meat and the fat doesn't bother me at all. Granted, I do eat, the beef I eat is primarily from my family farm versus eating shit, like, from the grocery store. Yeah. So that that probably plays a yeah, pretty significant they, difference. They y'all your family owns a an actual legit meat farm, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a. I can't say a hundred percent grass fed grass fed beef because right before we slaughter them, give them a little sweet feed. But yeah, it's it's primarily a grass fed yeah. beef farm. Yeah. Do you play in the arms of an angel as you put on the truck? <laughs> Get him out of here. Just fucking shoot him in the head at the get farm. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> By the way. Put him in the truck. By the way, inducive, the word that I said, means inducing or influencing, leading on. So I was right. Go fuck yourself. I thought you said conducive when I corrected you. So in my defense. I think it's someone with electricity, right? Conductive. Yeah. Conductive. Conductive. Oh, yeah, close. Same thing. Same thing. Go hey, back to your coloring book. For one, no child left behind, Bush fucking 96. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the fuck. Whatever the fuck. Oh, man. I don't so, know. What's like, even oh, the right year. But, but, but quick, quick topic, man. Yeah. Allie, personal trainer, phenomenal dude, phenomenal competitor. But she has just now run into the joint pain issue tied in with gluten, man. And she's pretty much, for the most part, narrowed down that gluten <laughs> is the cause of her joint pain. Like, her fingers swell a lot. And not that she has celiac, yeah. which is a... It's like an extreme reaction to yeah, gluten. That, causes a, yeah. uh, fairly significant digestive issues. Big inflammatory, almost like early stage of arthritis type shit uh, essentially get, yeah, yeah but they, they can't have that reaction but, but she she does have an, uh, a reaction to gluten itself so like she'll she'll almost be in fucking tears man of her of her uh, joints hurting quite a bit man and and that's really and it's primarily in her hands so it's I think it's different for everybody my mom's silly my mom has celiac the, the actual disorder or disease whatever you want to call it where she eats gluten and she's like on the toilet for fucking hours, man, just shitting her brains out. And uh, so, joint health is very important, man, because you're not gonna want to pick weight up and put it down if your joints are in pain. Yeah, so I mean, I think you guys covered pretty well what my response would be. It would be looking at your diet. Um, I can definitely tell when I'm consuming wheat products, gluten. Um, but then the big thing for me is a lot of my things that I, I used to think that were joint pain were actually caused by like movement deficiencies in, in within my muscular, like I would have significant tightness somewhere. Right. And so, yeah. and that's causing the pain. So like my, we talked about when I cracked my femur that led like torn quad that led to some like pretty like when it healed, it healed extremely knotted. So all my knee issues then stemmed from the the fucked up quad resulted in like a partially torn ACL because my ACL was tight for a lot of years I did a lot of stupid stuff long runs ruck running and so the constant pounding created a ACL that was basically chronically micro micro had micro tears in it and so all that kind of joint pain stemmed just from that fucked up quad that stemmed from the cracked femur so yeah. like Everything's kind of related, and then I've noticed that too. I get a lot of massages now, and like 
they can like release my trap and I can feel my calf release. <laughs> yeah. You Dude, know what I'm saying? Like they'll, they'll hit that like, the tightness in my trap yep. and then like my whole right side will just like, like just Dude. release as wild. Dude, how the body is connected is so fucking wild, yeah. man. And, and we, I was talking to you about about my buddy uh, Ryan Brown earlier. Yeah. And dude, that guy, man, from what it, from what it seems like, I've not got. By the way, I've not got a massage by him by any means. And it's in. <laughs> no, it's it's in the books. I but, want a massage by him, Ryan. If you're listening to this, <laughs> but from in from in the I'm in Houston until like tomorrow. How, come how here. How these people talk about him, and and I've had very like. I'll call them trigger point massages. That's not yeah. what he does. He does like a prehab, rehab type deal where he legit fixes your issues. But I've had like, like whenever I was in my prep, man, my left lat was very much locked up because of how I trained and I couldn't get get away from it. So I'd got a massage and it would loosen it up to make my lat spread bigger, right? It make make me more defined, man. And dude, I didn't uh, even think about that from a bodybuilding. Standpoint. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, that's like, crazy. I've seen pictures of that. Actually, I think Ryan posted yeah. some on a dude. And I honestly, if you had told me some of that shit, I'm like bullshit. No, like, his wings sense, popped though. way yeah. more. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, because he but, loosens up these yeah. fucking fibers, man. Yeah. And I swear to God, I, like whenever I first heard about it, I was legit. I was like, ah, okay, cool. <laughs> You're trying to reach out to get money for free or whatever, whatever it is. But like, man, I'm I'm a sole believer in it, and I think it helps a lot, especially with like range of motion on some of these bodybuilders that can't pull their fucking wrists behind their back, right? And uh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, no, you mean? I- no. That's normal. Dude, I was talking to Anthony about that. Like, I was going to put Anthony in a climber, and, and Anthony, I mean, he's super transparent about that shit. He's like, dude, I don't have the mobility to use a yeah. fucking climber. Yeah, man. He's like, I don't think I can get my legs. I mean, you got to think that motherfucker is so strong. He has to almost be that tight to be no. able to fucking, like. That's like, if I'm. There's the thing about. Who is it? It's the. There's an Instagram person that. They went to the Arnold, and she was going around and putting stickers in the middle of bodybuilders' backs and they could not reach the sticker to get it off their back. And so they're just sitting there reaching for it and they can't get it. And it's, you know, it's an Instagram joke, whatever, but it's a very real thing. Close the door. Oh, sorry, I can't reach you. I'm too short. Jesus Christ, Caleb. Like, I can hear that smooth through the microphone. Yeah, yeah that's uh, very clear. <laughs> Caleb's taking a piss right now. If you guys couldn't hear that. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the first one. They're probably like, oh my god. So yeah, uh, do you run cameras year round? Here, my cameras are on private land, so I run. Would say that we run cameras probably ten months out of the year, and that's just because like two of those months they're either out of batteries or whatever. But. I take my computer up there. We check the cameras. I just see what's going on. Just see who's hanging around. Just see, do I got coyotes? Do I got bobcats? Is anybody on the property that's not supposed to be on the property? Oh, I got some stories on that one. Oh, yeah. You showed it to us earlier. (laughs) You keep going. I'll get to mine in a second. But I, I I don't think it hurts anything. Like, I mean, it might hurt your pocketbook for selling or for having to pay for batteries. But, you know, it's other than that, what it. The cameras don't... If they're doing their job, the deer don't notice them. 
the animals like they're not aware that they're there so there's no harm in it do you guys run them at kind of eye level or do you guys have you guys tried any of the kind of the high angle where you put them up high and then angle them down for us they're mostly on post so we have feed pens to keep the hogs out of the corn and the cotton seed yeah and so we just throw them on one of those posts i have one so basically what you're saying there is you you guys are running basically the panel fencing Correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I've seen. Just it's hog panel. It's, yes, ho- it's, it's like bull panel, but it's got a bigger. Like, yeah. Once you get to the bottom, it's it's tighter. So so to explain this to folks, if you guys know what woven wire fencing is or any, basically everything's it's 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 hard wire fencing in basically cubes. So it's like and panels it's tack welded, and yeah. it's, it's tack welded together. And they come up in panels that are around, I don't know, six, eight, eight, six, foot eight long, feet long. Eight foot. Uh, some of them are 12 foot, but yeah. eight to 12 foot. And then they get basically tacked up T-posts, and then... Oh, no. We, we sunk we sunk landscaping timbers. Well, regardless. Yeah. Tacked up the posts. T-posts, landscaping timbers, something They're like that. high enough that the, the deer pigs can jump can't over get them. in, the deer yep. can jump over them. Exactly. The, when you put out feeders, the, the pigs and the deer will hit them, which is you know good if you're trying to kill pigs, too. But you... A lot of guys out here want to have feed that only the deer can get and not the pigs can get. Well, we have some pretty interesting trail cam pics of raccoons that look like they're flying through the air trying to get to the goddamn corn. Dude, I, I talked about that when I was at the at camp with the guys. Like, when I was trapping pigs, I had a lot of trail cams out, obviously on the traps. I'd have like 2,000 pictures of like the same fucking raccoon, and you're like, good God. Oh, they get to be... Tanks, yeah, absolute. Unit. Oh, when they're just sitting there every night, they know where that corn's going to be, and they just get big and big. And you're like, well. and at Benning, it's it's really strict. It's on an army installation, so like, can't do shit at night. Like, it's very, you know, you can't put out extra traps. Like, and I'm like, can I just kill these raccoons? Because <laughs> they're eating like thirty percent of the corn I'm putting out. Yeah, and you start doing like money, you know, the money analysis, and I'm putting seven dollars for a fifty pound bag of corn. You know, and I'm putting a couple hundred pounds out a week. Like, that shit adds up quick. Dude, I, I had a group of raccoons that spun the bottom of my feeder, so they spun the motor yeah. off. Like, physically spun spun it off. Raccoons with are smart as fuck. Dude, they dumped 300 pounds of corn out <laughs> in one night because they spun the feeder off, which kept the, the <laughs> fucking just, corn just, up. The bottom just fell off. Yeah, dude, the whole thing. And I was like, are you fucking serious? So... I just it's almost hard to be mad at that point. You're like, God I, damn, boys, you earned it. <laughs> you, got, you got one raccoon laying in a pile of corns like, <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, you. Yeah, dude, it, it, like, I was just like, man, I couldn't get mad at it because, like, it was just so funny. But at the same time, I'm like, bro, that's like 20, almost, well, it's like 10 pounds of, or 10 bags of corn, you know? Yeah. Not 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 a, that much, his, but it's close to which his wreck. He dies because the corn just like laid on him, <laughs> pouring out. And they're like, "Oh man!" They get up to raccoon heaven. How'd you die, Frank? He's like three hundred <laughs> pounds of corn. Fell they're like, "Oh, that's the way to go." That's man. a record. That's, the way to <laughs> that's go. a record. You get the special treatment. <laughs> oh man, I I don't run. So I have cameras out. Right, I've got cameras out on my land that. Dude, I haven't been out to my property since deer season ended because it was just I was running and gunning, so I like I needed a break. But I'll, I'll be up there next uh, here in like two weeks to check it out, just because I want to see what's coming out there after post season and and because I think our rut in in East Texas, it, I think it runs longer than what 
they they typically call for honestly it starts earlier so ours starts like beginning or beginning of november end of october where it's like south texas is more of like december and so it's it's offset yeah yeah ben but i tell you what i still see deer fucking i still see bucks chasing does all the way through well, you, january you got like a it's like a secondary rut. So the ones that didn't yeah. breed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand it's that. It's yeah. lesser than the original, yeah. but it's it's still a good fit. But but on private land, I've got, or I'm sorry, on public land, I have uh, one, one camera, honestly, one camera out in this bow area. I actually sent you the, the drop pin on yep, it. I've got, yep. And, uh, and so I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go out there sometime this week and pull the camera and just just, just to check it. On. But I have like, dude, I've got like six or seven cameras that I've just been culminating that I need to put out there in general. They, they don't have like a satellite pickup on it or anything like that. But I think I'm just going to put it out there. They were free. They were gifted to me. So if I get if they get lost or stolen, I don't feel that bad. But it gives me a general idea of what runs in that area, um, aside from what I've seen. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm gonna do here, like this week, probably. Yeah. So with cameras, we just really started getting pretty, I don't know, deliberate with cameras at, at my place, and we pull them in. Uh, I don't know about February. I think is when we pulled them in this year, because I think it. You want to leave them up until they start dropping because yep. let's see, let's get a little inventory, see who made it, who didn't, you know, try to get some pictures. But then the way I look at it, from basically February to, fuck, into May, there's not a whole lot of benefit. Maybe bears will get them hitting on the minerals because we can put minerals out. But we basically know there's bears out there. In Virginia, you can't bait. So it's like if you see a bear and kill a bear, it's going to be fucking luck like right. yeah, is yeah. what it is so I don't really care about taking inventory of bears at this point maybe eventually we'll get there we want to run cameras here around but right now it's just pull them in um, and then you know the second part of the question was you know where do you where do you put them well this last year we really focused on putting them at like known crossing points you know high levels of traffic where we know the deer kind of move through what we haven't done is really attack the bedding and I think going forward, we'll have them on food, so food plots. We're going to have them on all the mineral sites. And then we're really trying to this year, in this season, attack the bedding. So not getting in the bedding, but usually real thick bedding, there's going to be two. There's going to be like a, you know, one point entry and another point entry. Yep. And get them on either side of the bedding. And try to like hone in exactly where that bedding is and where those bucks are coming in and out of. And if we can start getting the intel early on on that, that's going to really set us up for that early season hunting where it's still predictable when they're leaving the beds, heading to food, and try to dial in on those bucks. We know there's some pretty big bucks on the property. We had some good pictures last year, and historically we've kind of hunted them. I don't want to say willy-nilly, but we've kind of just like you hunt the same spots. we got the stands. That's just where you hunt. Right Now we're all running saddle setups. Um, at least me, Perry, John, Evan, I think he, he's just getting into the bow hunting. He's going to get the saddle. And what the saddle gives you is just a level of mobility that you just don't get out of, you know, normal tree stand setups. And so now that we're a lot more mobile, we're a lot more flexible. And then with that, we can start getting a little more adaptable to like where we're setting up. And so I think if we can start really attacking bedding, we can really start to hunt on those, 
where those bucks are. Um, so it's going to be kind of a new tactic for us this year, but I, I think it could be pretty beneficial. I, I could I could agree with that, man. Um, although I don't I don't have my cameras set up on like betting areas themselves, but I I have them. Which maybe I need to change it up a little bit. I have them set on set on the rubs that I know they that they used to use or currently do. Obviously, whenever they lose their antlers, they don't use rubs anymore. But um, that's pretty much just like my like. Okay, they they made it through the season. They're still hitting this set area, and you know maybe, maybe I need to transfer my cameras out more to trail paths that that I know they came in at or. Or betting areas, like you said, which Trevor, dude, Trevor's got it down, man. Trevor does, and, and we, we got to get Trevor on the pod. I got to yeah. make sure he gets a mic and a headset and everything so we can do this because he does have it have it down. And, and but I know he attacks betting, and so if you you could kill a buck, right? So let's say you identify that that primo buck bed on a property or in an area, and you kill that buck the next year. The next biggest buck is going to be in that same fucking spot. Is that how it works? Yeah, dude. That that bedding doesn't change. The primo spot is the primo spot, mm. and so that alpha buck is going to be in that primo bedding. Maybe not every time that you're there. Right. He's going to have several different options for bedding yeah. based on the wind, based on the conditions, based on where he's at, and everything. But he'll be there. But eventually Ideally. he'll be there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, honestly, it's probably it's hunting hill country where I'm from has its own challenges with you've got not you're fighting thermals you're fighting wind you're fighting a bunch of different shit in the topography and everything else however i think you have more data points because this is what i was, I was talking about with the fe- the fella who uh is the is the son of the owner of the farm the ranch that i've been hunting down in texas it's all flat and it's very thick pines and it's like it's fuck, everywhere's bedding like there's there's nowhere that's not yeah. bedding here Versus it, it back home, you have a whole other problem set with the thermals, with the ridges, but also with those data points, you do have more information to then make decisions because you know, okay, the thermal is going to be going up, the wind's coming this way, so he's going to want he wants the thermal at his face and the wind at his back. He's going to be set up a third of the way up the ridge. He's going to be somewhere along here, and you can start to like eliminate areas and then be like, okay, he's going to be here, here, here. I can sit here, here, here. Yes, and you can start looking at the topo and building that shit out. And so, I would definitely suggest starting to like look at your bet the bedding areas and figure out where they're bedding. And once you start to identify that bedding on those properties that you're consistently hunting and where that primo bedding is, and this is the time to get out there because it doesn't fucking matter if you push them, they're still going to come back to that bedding. Uh, so get back in there, look for oh, sheds, yeah, the time, look for hair. The time between now, and yeah, this is. Hunting. I mean, we're sitting here on March seventh, so like between January and April is really when it's a you know it's fine. You can also shed the, hunt when you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. That gives you something to do. You find and you find a that you know that nice eight nine you know ten point. That would be five point. You know what I'm saying? That antler sitting right there. Pull out whatever imagery thing you use. Drop a waypoint right here. Boom. I know this is probably some bedding, and you'll be able to identify the rubs, right? So that usually bucks within their bedding, they're gonna have rubs in the front, in the back, or however they do it. It doesn't really matter, but they're gonna have some rubs to identify. Like, hey, this is my spot. You find that primo buck bedding. There's gonna be some satellite buck bedding around his because what will happen is. is if it so happens that that day that buck's bedding somewhere else, one of these other bucks is going to come in, bed in there, 
But if he's in there, they're going to push out to one of these other spots. Yeah. yeah. You know, or if they're in there and he comes in, they're going to get up and they're going to leave. Especially pre-rut. They don't even want to fucking tussle. No. Pre-rut, they might get a little ballsy and they'll, they'll tussle it up. But, you know, he's probably going to win that dominant buck. He's going to have that spot if he fucking wants it. Yeah. You know, he walks in. He's like, this is a Ritz-Carlton motherfucker. That's my room. <laughs> he's going to kick fucking, you know, Jim Bob Cooter out of there. Yeah. And he's going to go... Go go sleep there. So that's fucking crazy. Yeah, man. getting on betting I think is really important for for trail cams, and that's something we haven't really done. But the more I've learned about it, the more I think is is definitely paramount. I'm doing it this season, man. Hundred percent doing it this season. Did you see the uh, the video of the guy that shot that deer? And then the deer like went down, and he shed his horns like as he was getting shot. Well, was this a mule deer or was it a whitetail? I can't remember. He was in the snow. I know that. Oh, no, no, no. But I the saw, guy, he no, shot no, this no. deer and the deer like kicked and like turned. And when he did, they just dropped. And the guy goes, oh. Like, <laughs> and he, I mean, the deer died there and then he picked up both sheds and he was just like, it, but, and the, oh. Taxidermists <laughs> can put this And he had it on. on video. Like all That's of those on video. Crazy. I watched one guy shot the deer. He goes to grab it and drag it by the antler. Grabs the antler and just rips the antler off. Ugh. That's so wild, man. Dude, Perry. Wait, I mean, does that I... make the spread bigger if only one's on the deer and you <laughs> hold it farther? <laughs> <laughs> that deer had a 48-inch spread. What? I don't know if you it's guys. That's like the tape was. It's so far it could get away. Yeah, if you guys listen to the episode when Perry was talking about it, he shot a deer this year he thought was a doe. It was a. It was yeah. in November. It was a yeah. shed buck. Both of its fucking antler shed. He got up on it, had both the nubbins. In November? In November. See, yeah. and you'll see that more. So, like, whitetail all together shed generally in the spring, you know, for the most part. And yeah. they get their antlers back by deer season. Axis, they do it on their birthday. So, Axis deer, like, it's any given time, they could just be like, yep, fuck this. I'm getting a new set. It's on their birthday. It's completely different. That's crazy, man. Dude. Animals are so fucking weird. Well, so are we. <laughs> you, not me. I'm an angel. I'm a saint among Yeah, men. Garrett has 40 fucking tarantulas. <laughs> yeah, that's not normal. That is not <laughs> normal. I don't give a fuck they're, what everybody says. We call that in the business calls. an indicator. <laughs> you hold them? Do you hold them? I hold certain ones. The other ones are Do you hold them, Mariah? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to pet them? Fuck no. She's going to hold one of them one day. While she sleeps, you just put the cat and the dog get along sleeps. with the tarantula. Uh, so for most of them, you test their temperament. So you take a paintbrush and you like smack them on the butt, or not smack them, but you like touch them on the butt with it and to see if they turn around and fucking whop whop and smack it. Obviously, don't fucking pick it up. It's in a bad mood. Why are you but trying if, to paint it? No, it's just because it's horse hair. It's bristles. It's not like. Doing this to it, I'll like, fucking Garrett Payne, the tarantula whisperer. <laughs> oh my god! But then, like, we're gonna make a movie about you. The other, well, the other thing is the light. It's gonna so, end with them like wearing people's skin. <laughs> yeah, Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. <laughs> oh shit! And falling. All right, now this is gonna be all sorts of fucked. I'm gonna have to do a significant amount of editing to fix. So this. Luke fell, the mic fell. I didn't fall. I caught myself. <laughs> I never hit the ground. He thought there was a back to the bar stool. There was not, and the cords got ripped. The stuff hit the ground, and and we're back. So now we're back. All right. Anyway, my tarantulas are sensitive to light, so as long as I don't hit them with a blue light, they're really docile, and they don't like fucking get agitated. So if I have a red headlamp and I go in there, they don't really like move around. That's crazy. Man. No, they're they, well, they don't see on the red light spectrum. So I go in there, I don't 
try to like agitate them. Like it's just like snakes or like anything else. If you yeah. go and you try to pick a fight, you're gonna get a fight. But if you go and you're just like, hey, here's some food. Like I don't I don't pick a fight that I don't know that I'll win. There you go. So I'll fucking that's crazy. And I'm not trying to get bit or anything, so I just like slightly open the thing like here, here's some food. But yeah, but you don't you don't like pick them up in your hand, do you? A couple of them every now and then, but I like I said, I test their temperament. So I take a paintbrush and I'll just kind of bump them on the butt. If they turn around and smack it, then they're not in a good mood and I'm not going to jack with that one. But if they're just kind of like, then you just kind of nudge them into your hand and you hold them. Like, oh, it's not man. a big deal. So and there's certain species that are more receptive to it than not. So anything with, like, your Gramostola, your Brachypelma, like, those are more of the local to here, more docile, like, this side of the country. Like, your old world, the stuff from across the pond, like, south. So, like, your, the uh, like, my Togo Starburst Baboon. My uh, feather leg baboon, those motherfuckers are fast and they do not like. That's they disgusting. Super venom. That's like, gross. Super venom. That's gross. And then the ones on, that are on this side, like the ones that are native to Texas, they don't have like a shit ton of venom, but they have what's called urticating hairs and it's like getting fiberglass in your skin. Yeah, that's gross. So I've, I've dealt with plenty of fiberglass, but you know what I don't deal with is fucking tarantulas because I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> I'm not a psychopath either. <laughs> Arguably. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's, that's Mariah. Funny. Am I a psychopath? Yes, she said yes. She said debatable. <laughs> she so said yes. It's at least up for debate. <laughs> that's All right. Crazy. What's our last question? Are we good? I think we're good. What's your favorite color? Uh, blue. There you go. Easy. Forest green. I like the woods. Teal because I can't ever decide. That's blue. Boom! That was the fastest we answered any of these questions. Mariah, what's your favorite color? Yeah. That's why I said teal. It's the same. It's perfect. You guys are on the same wavelength. Yeah. Except I don't like the way she decorates. And she doesn't like fucking tarantulas. She doesn't hate them. See? I mean, they live in the fucking storage unit, not in the house. I they think that's all we need to know. Until I had to move all my shit into a storage unit. Whatever, dude. Good episode. Good fucking, like, three episodes. Good. Dude, this is like 15 episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Six hours later. <laughs> Good God. People are going to think we're regulars. <laughs> like, why are these guys on six episodes? Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm going to have to, like, tear this shit out. So there's going to be, like, <laughs> you guys and then Perry, and then you guys are going to come back. <laughs> like, be like, it's like, oh, we're back in Texas. Actually, it was the same conversation. The conversation never ended. Well, you could, well, that you do it like Ranella and them do, where they say, like, where they clip it in. It's like, hey, we're going back to this conversation. This is just part two. Oh, yeah. So you dub it over. over. Yeah, it's easy. Dude, I I just I'm so excited. make sure to want to talk. Cut out the black bear joke. You have to cut that one. Out. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> one's definitely that was definitely, that was definitely going. You, sh- you left it up there. I had. To- oh man. All right, I'm gonna stop it right now. <laughs> uh, well, we thanks let's do, guys. Let's do outros while we're doing while we're on. All right. Closing know. thoughts, Caleb. Go. All right, man. Uh, if anything, all I gotta say is keep on keeping on, man. <laughs> Goddamn <laughs> profound words right there from fucking Caleb Jordan. <laughs> this is Garrett. He looks like Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, he does, though. Uh, if you do CrossFit, you can cross fuck off. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a 
Wild a ride. Wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for putting up with this. It's been a lot of fun. I honestly couldn't have a better time in Texas. Thank you, Mariah, for letting us invade your apartment yeah. for the last five hours. Shout out to Garrett's girlfriend, Mariah, who has been a saint through this entire debacle. This has been a good time. Thanks, y'all.